0: So I'm here with my uh, sick-ass click, and we're going to go all out with Chris Barrett, talking about the M82, the M107, the Gulf War, the Mark 22, which maybe some of you don't know about, but it's, you know, the new sickness and long-range precision, terrorist-killing badass shit, Um, life, bourbon, cars, horses, hoes, strip clubs, stuff he likes. I, I don't know. So, all right. Chris Barrett, welcome, my buddy. Thank you. Thank you, you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm so great. You are. It's so weird. Like, is our careers, you know, like parallel and we do less shows and we see each other less and we got to make the effort. But this is the time that I like, Like, you know, picking up yesterday, we just get to hang out and bullshit. We, had too, we had too much to say though one day one, oh,
1: since so we hadn't good. been around each other in a few months. I know. Like, uh, I know. You know, we got a year's worth of things to tell you about.
0: Yeah, so, um, I don't, Adam, I don't know when I met Chris actually, but it's been a long time because, um, okay. So for everyone listening or watching, so, uh, Chris Barrett, it's no coincidence. It's Barrett firearms. So your father, Ronnie James D O Barrett, <laughs> uh, started awesome. Barrett firearms in well, it's the M82. So I assume it was 1982. It was 1982. Yeah. What year were you born? 1978. So you probably started working there. I mean, you probably waited. You're probably six.
1: You know, I was doing a little odd jobs probably that early. Yeah. Have you,
0: have you ever had a job other than Barrett firearms? No, no. That's so fucking cool, man. Um, well I've also, you know, I don't know your dad very well, but I've known him for God. I don't know. Probably 25 years Mm -hmm. I met him, but, um, Dude, I want to know the history. Like, I did research, and I've got a bunch of questions here. I'm going to turn this over so you can't see it and spoil anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, me being in the industry also for 30 years, mm-hmm. um, I learned so much doing research just wanting to to be prepared for you coming. But I want to hear the, the story because, to me, it's like a great American story, uh, like your your dad, his background and what led him to the 82. Like, I want to start – from you know, for the the M eighty two, I want to yeah. Before I, that, what's your dad's background? How to get there? I, I agree. I think it
1: is a great American story that it kind of um, it transcends just being interesting to gun people. Also, you know, kind of if you're, oh yes, if you're an American and you know, like just kind of love the freedom we have and the ability to do anything here. You, you know, you're gonna get into this story, and I think that's why a lot of people gravitate to it because he's one of those guys that did it
0: it's the american dream as far as i'm concerned some of the videos i watched yesterday i mean i've appreciated what your family's done for a long time um you know and not too different from the knight family or other Mm -hmm. families in our industry but yeah your dad's story is the fucking american dream
1: yeah and we have this opportunity here that you just don't get many other places in the world so it's uh that's why people love it so you know dad was a photographer yeah. And and uh, what that means is he was a photographer when you had to be very creative to do that job. You know, we didn't have all the post edit; we couldn't make like a masterpiece on our iPhone. You know, and, yeah. ed- and edit it in the iPhone and make it. You had to be right. It was on thirty five millimeter.
0: Knowing your dad, mm. it's not surprising. Yeah, that his attention to detail. I mean, when you see him today, I mean, he looks like Chuck Willery. I mean, his hair is perfect. Yeah. He's always dressed like he's the president. His attention to detail. So it's no surprise to me knowing that, that he was a photographer at a time where you had to get it right the first time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You really had to know your craft because not only do you have to get it right, but you don't know if you got it right until you develop it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, Yeah. We had a dark room when yeah. I was a kid. I mean, God. we don't know what a dark room half is pe-
0: anymore. I was going to say half the people watching or listening won't even know what that is. A dark room. It it's sounds a like so. devoid, <laughs> a room devoid of light where you develop photography.
1: You know, So you would take the film and turn it into a photograph. And, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't know what you got until then. Like, now we can, you know, take a burst of 20 shots, you know, keep the three we want and yeah. roll and, and make those awesome later. But, no, dad had an eye for that, and he has a, the creative eye, Yeah, you know. Um, and he sees the beauty in those things, and he yeah. knew how to turn that into great photography. And so it was already a successful photographer in our town. Everybody in our town, like all growing up, knew Ronnie Barrett for that because yeah. he was the photo guy. I mean, he he did all this stuff from weddings to – to any events, and then you know, dabbled in a little bit of product photo- product photography for companies as well. So he really, uh you know, was great at that. But it was always a gun guy, and not a hunter. You know, yeah. we weren't raised as like hunter. Outdoor. Oh, really? No, no, no.
0: I wouldn't assume because you, you know, you think you guys are in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, right mm-hmm. outside of Nashville, mm-hmm. and with your accent in mind, like people would naturally think we're rednecks growing up hunting. Oh, yeah, yeah. People assume that about
1: about us as well. But it's just. Dad was a student of military firearms and history. Well, a, a lot like you are and like I've come to love as well. You know, that's kind of how I grew up. Yeah. We did not um I mean, you know they, they had they did a little hunting when he was a kid.
0: Yeah, it, so his father was into firearms as well. Not really. Really? No. Oh, cool. My so grandfather like me founded on
1: his own. My grandfather was a carpenter. Yeah. And so you know dad got a lot of that, you know, and and that kind of influenced the way the first rifles were designed if you were into carpentry. And dad, you know, dad tells on himself like some of the first drawings he had that were done with a pencil are like, you know, 25 and seven eighths of an inch. You know, this is how the this is how the things were dimensioned, because if you were building a cabinet, yep. that's how we do it. And like we didn't use the decimal system. So some of the very first prototype ro- rifles were made with like, man, they were fractional. <laughs>
2: that's awesome. <laughs> like, so advan- like,
1: so yeah. old school is fractional. We don't really use those tolerances no. these days. No. no, no. So it's but, you know he didn't know that. And, you know, sometimes things are possible when you don't know that it's not. So, yeah. I I mean,
0: your dad, in my opinion, created something that he should not have been able to do. And had he had formal training, you wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have done it.
1: Yeah. Because you, the world would have convinced you that you were an idiot.
0: Yeah. Some professor would have told him it was stupid or whatever. Yeah.
1: Right. So it's, uh, yeah, I think he really, he really changed our world a a lot in that way. And, um, yeah, so some of the early drawings he took in though were in fractional dimensions to a machine shop and say, "Hey, can you make this part for me?" You know, and and but but he was you know skilled at working with wood. You know, from my grandfather, they built all the cabinets in our town, and and uh, that was kind of the early childhood for for him. And
0: well, he was into military history, and I've seen pictures and videos of your father like shooting guns prior to Barrett, and mm-hmm. like you know pictures of him shooting old AR-15s or M16s and stuff like that. How in the hell is the first thing you do a semi-automatic 50 cal? So like what was in his head? Well, you know how it goes with uh, you know, your collection.
1: You you can we can probably all remember where our first shot, like what we shot first or what our first piece in our collection was, and things just evolve. They get out of hand, you yeah. know, in, until you have 500 skateboards, right? You know, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we're talking about your family. <laughs> Let's not get into your closet. So. You know, he just kind of progressed through those things. You're right. I've got, I've got awesome 80s photos on my phone of dad. Yeah. You know, like with all his brothers, like really short shorts, like all their guns laid out. This is before the internet where you could show off your guns. Like you could yeah. actually take a photo of it and like then you could carry the picture around. So, um, yeah, he was just always into that. And we went to, um, you know, the Soldier of Fortune shows when I was kid. Oh, yeah. In we Vegas, went to, they had them. Went, went, well, but even before that, I guess we were going to Knob Creek, Knob Creek Machine Gun Shoot. Yeah, that, so, that's
0: part of what I want you and I to get into at some point. I have some uh, questions about Knob Creek, but people don't really understand. But yeah, Soldier of Fortune events yeah. was a gathering of companies and individuals and is it the same as the magazine? It with the, yeah, it was yeah. Put on by Bob Brown. Yeah, and Bob they Brown. had stuff. What was the hotel? It was at Vegas, and they would have a, a like, this plank or whatever across a pool. Like American Gladiators. Yeah. <laughs> and you got on there. Fight like, they'd a, have, like, oh, wh- whoever could sticks. do it. they would be, like, SF guys and yeah. stuff, too. And yeah. you fight and fuck each other up. And whoever knocks each other in the water, and somebody in the they'd end wins. He wins the prize. Yeah.
1: Just imagine that
0: in 2021. Like, Oh, can never, it it was probably illegal for us to talk about it right now, (laughs) (laughs) but it was pretty cool. And then you go out in the desert and have a shoot and blow shit up. Like it was, but you know, what was so cool? I touched on it in our last podcast. It was so pure because there, there was no social media flexing. You did it because you loved it. Mm -hmm. There was no other reason to do it because you weren't going to get famous. You weren't going to get followers. You had to spend money to get out there. There's no video, and you just shot with your buddies and blew stuff up, and then you drink beers and fight on this plank in the pool. It, mm. it was it was a good time. Should bring it back. So
1: early, yeah. I, yeah. We should bring it back, but again, like I said, I don't know if we could. Uh, I mean, it would be. Don't ask general counsel. It would probably no. be considered a terrorist organization. <laughs> you know, <and> Christine, <laughs> shut this off right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, Dad was just into guns, right? Since a young age, and started his collection, and then in the 80s, you know, when you could manufacture a machine gun oh
0: that's right but until may of 86 you could manufacture so for people who are unaware you could if you had an ar-15 you could convert it to full auto and just register it and pay your 200 dollars tax like you register an sbr now Mm -hmm. and you could convert all your guns into machine guns
1: this is like pre-miami vice okay and that there's a there's a significant inflection point to miami vice and it was um you know, yeah, you could get these guns. Like, Dad had an M60 when I was very little. He had a gun room at our house mm-hmm. that a house that we eventually moved into later that had all these guns in it. And you know, he had an M60 that he helped some other guys get the parts and get assembled, and he just got one for free. Yeah. A transferable M60. Yeah, know?
0: because and, back then it was just a matter of gathering the parts, which were right. current surplus parts. So it wasn't there. There wasn't intrinsic value to it. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think my first M60, which I probably bought in. Nineteen ninety-four, and I I bet it wasn't three thousand dollars.
1: Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 just crazy to think of that now. That gun is probably worth what fifty or sixty. Yeah. And you know, so Dad had one of those. It was just a freebie, and you know, he had Uzis, and you know, he started you know, kind of with like pistols, like he had Colt
0: Python, you know, and his Python probably then cost as much as the full auto transferable Uzi cost. (laughs) True. Yeah, Yeah. That's right. You know, and so he shot competitively at
1: like bullseye and other whatever whatever it might have been, pistol competitions. And it's the same thing. Reed
0: Knight was doing pistol
1: competition, yeah. yeah. And then he got into like there was submachine gun shoots at some like at Knob Creek. Oh yeah, Knob Creek like, submachine machine gun walk. You know, you pop all these balloons. Yeah.
0: Well, last time I went to Knob Creek, I still did it. So for people listening or watching, so Knob Creek, it's in, um, is it West Point, Kentucky? Yeah, so it, it's it next is. to Fort Knox. So it's a great trip because they have. Um, What museum is that they have there next to Fort Knox? Is, is it an armament museum of some is it type? Not, is it Eisenhower? No. Is it Eisenhower? No. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up and we'll put it up here. But they've got a great museum of like one of the, some general where they've got a lot of guns and stuff in it. And then there's Fort Knox. And then in this few miles past that hillbilly in the mountains, yeah. the Knob Creek machine gun shoot. So it's in Bullock County kentucky which is cool so if you go to the chamber of commerce and you get the little what things to do here flyer it always had the machine gun shoot as number one so god bless that town yeah in that county that's great and you know it's it's why i drink knob creek knob creek whiskey today is yeah. my primary one is because of the machine gun shoot so twice a year april and october was it the second weekend of each yeah they have it and it is just balls out machine guns mini guns blowing cars up it's in the, like mountains. It's up in a holler, you know, up in a holler. Yeah. And you
1: can camp there. You can bring your RV if you really, you know, if you're really bold.
0: Yeah. And so there's a jungle. So they have shooting competitions too, which is what you're talking about. submachine gun competitions, they had like a jungle walk where you go through with your Uzi or your Beretta PM 12 or your MP five in later years. And it's a competition. It was highly contested a lot. I mean, there were people who were serious about it. You know, it's the first place I took my dad and my brother and Max Atchison on a Huey ride, remember you used to pay a hundred bucks yeah, go on a right. Huey ride. So fun, but that was a cool thing because you could go and experience. And I think they still have it. I haven't been in probably. I can't imagine 20 what years. it's like
1: now though. It's um, you, you, so the other big portion of it is a swap meet, right? Yeah, and you would. Like, so this yeah, sure. is a huge like uh, ten or outside pavilion, and you're walking through these tables and you're digging through bins of Cosmoline covered bits of receivers yep. that somebody knows like, oh this is this is Bulgarian or whatever you know all this weird stuff I don't know how much of
0: that is there I haven't been in a few years I haven't been either What what's the best thing you ever found the treasure you found there well hmm, I mean I've picked up all kinds of obscure
1: AK novelties you know just lots yeah. of AK stuff but I think this, the stuff that's probably the most useful was uh you know going like in my 20s and 30s and stuff we would go buy like the battle packed metal cans of like Danelle South African 308 ammo. And you open that up and there's like 800 round sealed battle packed Plastic so- things yes. yeah. like just getting that ammo and being able to stockpile surplus ammo that's actually quality. Like if you've got an FAL or yeah. something, uh, we used to just shoot a lot, you know, yeah, like, you know, that thing
0: people don't realize. I used to buy that South African, the Danelle ammo in five, five, six and seven, six, two. And if I bought a pallet of it, so in, my house 20 years ago, three car garage and one stall was just ammo. Mm. And I would always have a pallet of 308 and 556. And for a few years, it was the denial stuff because it was new production. It was 11 cents around for 556 and 13 cents around, maybe 12, 12 and a half for 308. Because I shot, people don't realize it now, but I have machine guns. And the ammo wasn't that expensive, so I might spend $500 on a weekend, but I would go to my farm and I would shoot belt-fed machine guns all day. All day. And you wouldn't spend that much money. Yeah. The coolest stuff, I can think of two things I got that were super cool at Knob Creek. A KGB Krinkoff case for 100 bucks, So, like a real one, it looks like a Russian Samsonite and you press a button and the case clamshells opens and falls to the ground and you're holding the handle, which is cradling a crank off and you throw that down and shoot someone. And then the other one I was looking in uh, a Thompson magazine bin that someone had. And you know, the Ingram model six. Yeah. Great gun underrated. The magazines are so expensive. Even then 25 years ago, hundred dollars a piece. And these were Thompson mags for $8 a piece. And the guy had like six or eight of them in there. And I picked it up and tried to tell him, because, you know, some of those old school guys, like old school gun stores, you go in, the guys are assholes. And I tried to tell him that it wasn't a Thompson mag. And he just basically told me, shut the fuck up. You want to buy them or not? Yes. And I, you know, like I was trying to help the guy out. So I said, okay, you know, here's my hundred bucks for like these six or eight mags, you know, and got my change and I went home. And so now my Ingram model six, which everybody has one magazine, I've got like seven or eight mags for it. Yeah. Those are some of my treasures. Like, I, I, I
1: wonder if we're losing listeners on this right now, but like you just can't imagine how cool it was. Like it's not like you know scouring
0: through this stuff to like and then and piecing a gun together. It's, it's like the first time you saw boobs or something. Like yeah. what yeah. the? Heck? I mean, it yeah. was so exciting. And to me, like watching mini guns fire that weren't on an aircraft where people are just behind them, like,
1: you
0: know, with tracers and blowing cars up. And oh, yeah, that's the first time I ever saw Tannerite Well, they would do like actual explosives
1: at Knob Creek, too. But yeah. So the where the campground is, I remember the first time my buddy he got we got his dad's RV and we took it, you know, we were probably 20s. And speaking of Tannerite or the other stuff that that got set off out there, we're at the campground, you know, and it's it's a ways away from probably where the quarter actions. mile or they, half mile. I right. Know. I remember one afternoon we were sitting there, like we're exhausted. You know, you've been up all night around a campfire with all kinds of characters. And, Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you're really in the grid. If you have spent the night at Knob Creek, you're in the, you're in it. And, um, so we were sitting there and somebody let something off. And I remember I was sitting there and we had a fold out, you know, table with some sandwiches and stuff. And there was a loaf of bread there with a plastic bag on it. And the plastic was kind of laid over on top of the bag. And something just went. And I looked at that that bag and went. And it boiled. Like, we're at the campground. Yeah. Like, it just moved that plastic. Like, you know, is, is somebody dead over there? I don't know.
0: It, yeah. I mean, I remember walking into Knob Creek every year. Because, you know, you'd have to walk like a mile to park to And get sometimes in, there. in mud. Yeah. Like. Yeah, when it rained, it was like a music festival. Those redneck kids would drive from like, you know, neighboring farms with their tractors to pull everybody out of the mud. Yeah, that's right. But. I remember walking down like you would think if the miniguns were shooting and it, and if, for those who have never heard a, a minigun up close, but this is still like a mile away. And when they're shooting, it might be six guys shooting miniguns. They're trying to blow something up and it sounds like a freight train. It doesn't sound like a gun. It's like, mm-hmm. that was cool. And then the explosions, I mean, you're a mile away and putting ear protection on like it is so out of hand. They'd have a night shoot and it's all tracers. And I mean, and people have been killed there, unfortunately. But it's like a great time. I mean, it, it's almost like if uh, I don't know how to describe it. He just he just golfed right over You know, people <laughs> have been killed there, so it was so awesome.
2: I mean, yeah, people get uh, killed at the rodeo, yeah. race cars, yeah,
0: all the things that are exciting. Yeah. So why should guns be any different? But um, anyway, <laughs> the vehicles were cool is. too. I remember there used to oh, pins gowers. Yeah.
1: Like there was Steyr, I bought Pens-Gowers. a pins gower. I had a pins gower. Yeah. I had a nice one, and those little mule or
0: what were they called? The uh, was it oh mule? the mule. Those are dangerous as shit. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a where motor you with a platform. A, yeah, you're sitting on like the front corner driving them. So Thomas, we can post a lot of this stuff. These are good photos. It is. This is gold. <laughs> um, yeah, that because yeah, they would have a, um also is is like a military vehicle like show competition where something was given away. I think is why they had so many vehicles mm-hmm. there.
1: Some were for sale. Yeah. So, you know, all that to say, like, we're kind of setting the stage for, the, you know, in the Ronnie Barrett story, that was kind of our culture. You know, that's what we were growing up in. It wasn't hunting in the woods or, like, a deer rifle. It was that, like, just being steeped in that. And, like, it was so fun. You know, yeah. you know the world. I mean, it's yeah. like, you can't – I don't even know if we can get that feeling back now, but it was awesome.
0: Well, it's so interesting because when you talk about – when you see stuff on social media now, you can slide into the DMs and shit and ask people things. But then – like you and I growing up in this industry, Knob Creek wasn't the only event. It was just kind of like a pinnacle, balls right. out, Mad Max, like just adrenaline filled, exciting event. Because the range with all these miniguns is right next to the tent where you're trying to buy stuff. And, but it, it, if yeah, you like, could get information, you could go yes, ask Old Western Kent, Scrounger, or Kent Lamont, Kent Lamont, yeah. Bob Landy's, all these people were just there. And answer your question, or people with the vehicles, like I got interested in the Gower because of being there actually got interested in a mule and i started talking to a guy who built him and my dad wanted one i was going to surprise him and he started telling me how dangerous it was I'm like don't get it and i've got an idiot brother so i didn't get that but i got interested in a pins Gower there and i was able to get information from a guy who had pins gowers imported them and restored them mm-hmm. and that's how i made the decision to get it instead of a unimog and and all it's like you could talk to people that had them and get information you know it's 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 weird. I mean, it was you had to do a face to face thing, but you had access to people a couple of times a year who you could ask these questions. I met to. John Rawls there.
1: Oh, who wrote Unintended Consequences? John, Ra- badass motherfucker. He was he had a five hundred Smith and Wesson Magnum in his belt line, like Mexican style. So, like you know,
0: for people <laughs> who who I mean, we can look him up too. But he was a large man. Yeah, like physically looked like a grizzly bear. And to put it in perspective, were you there the year? He shot when his book came out. He did a little demo and he shot clay pigeons with a single shot 50 cal bolt gun, and then uh, a Suomi nine millimeter submachine gun, and so did it for like ten minutes. Never missed one with wow. both guns. So single shot 50 cal pull, boom, break a break a clay with a 50 cal single. I mean he's a man.
1: Yeah, and like unintended consequences. Can you even get that book? I don't Is know. It, I think the FBI had like a lot of them pulled. Oh, they did. I mean, it was naughty. You know, it was. (laughs) He was connecting some dots, and I I think I've seen, I've read things in that book. I think made it into movies later. You know that just along the way, it's it it was wild, and you know, not a literary masterpiece, but man, he's a
0: cool guy. A lot of good information. You know, I met Randy. I don't know. I haven't I haven't seen him in twenty years, Hmm. but uh, I met Randy Weaver there too. I met Randy Weaver in Vegas. You did. At, he was signing his book like after. He was signing I, his book at Knob Creek when I met him? Gosh, yeah, with his daughter, like the one that survived. I'm afraid nobody knows what we're talking about now. And so Ruby Ridge, Randy Weaver. So <laughs> uh, he, he was. Uh, his family was.
2: Now yeah, we, we talked about him suspect a bit.
0: and victimized. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: So, so uh, you
1: know all all of this we're talking about that culture. You know, you said well, like, why did he do this? Like mean, everybody asks that, and it's probably one of the largest misconceptions about the company and our product. That we've had to actually. Well,
0: let's clear it right. Let's clear the fucking air right now. All yeah. right, you have a huge audience of dozens of people. <laughs> yeah, I know, man.
1: You, you three guys. I hope y'all are loving this. Like, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, a lot of people, and we've been accused by, you know, gun grabbing politicians that this is a military weapon that's been put into the hands of civilians. That's app. It just wasn't that way. You know, there was no military requirement in 1982 for anything like this. People thought it was laughable. There was no. There just wasn't there because was,
0: I, I think 1982. I think the M107 mm-hmm. or whatever it wasn't adopted until at least 20 years later. Oh, officially. yeah. Officially, there were there was some early
1: militaries that looked at it, and we can talk about that some. But they, um, the, I think, the big point is like, why did Ronnie Barrett do yes. this thing? It was not because it was a military requirement, or it had, or this thing had a specific it, place. It's like, what I would have thought. He he wanted this, so he had. Um, you know, we said he had Uzis I and mean, he had M60s. And then, you know, he, the Ramo company was in Nashville. Ramo. Oh, that's right. They the, were. They had the elephant. Yeah, the they awesome made, logo. I have one of their M250 cows. So dad knew ER Maples, Pony Maples, mm-hmm. which went on to become MSG, Military Systems Group, Mount. They make all these amazing mounts. Pony died a couple of years ago. Uh, has an awesome collection of stuff, yeah. too. But, um, you know, so dad was around these 50 cows and did some photography for them.
0: Oh, see, I've never even heard the story. He
1: was doing product photography, so you you actually have you forgot about it when you last time you came to Barrett. I I don't think I could have possibly taken you around the building and not showed you the kind of Genesis photograph. There's a photo of a boat, like a riverine patrol craft, on a sunsetting lake with an M2 on the front, with dudes wearing like motorcycle helmets driving this thing backlit by the sun. Remember. Dad took that photo for the Rainbow Company. They were making the mount. No shit. And the, fifth, the, gun, and the, and the guns. And so they went to Percy Priest Lake, which is our lake right around Nashville. Early in the morning, sun's coming up, and we got this boat running around with 50s with dudes looking like, you know, Star Wars troopers with helmets on. And Dad yeah. took this amazing photograph. It won awards. The the, the portrait is on the wall. And um, that's where Dad, like, made friends with Pony and said, you know, hey man, I've got this idea, you know, I'm going to make a 50 caliber that you can shoot from your shoulder. And the way dad tells it with the guy was like,
0: "Okay." <laughs> right. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, well, and, like your only frame of reference is the M2 at that point. Correct. A big huge belt fed takes two
1: people to set up and move. To, to say and if in listeners if you never if you've never been around a minigun, you don't know what that experience is like if you've never been around an M2 firing you don't know what that's like this thing the earth is shaking yeah boop, 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 like you know like grass is hopping up off the ground like every, the concussion is and and for someone to if you stood there for like a 20 round burst of that and then somebody said now I want you to shoot this rifle with that cartridge in it you would be no no you know?
0: no I, I would equate this to when I listen to Joe Rogan and he's like a car nut you know like mm-hmm. you and I like cars but he likes american muscle cars but you know part of him is like and you know like the 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 V8 muscle cars and the sound and the blah, 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 blah. You know, the whole thing either, you know, same thing with like a, um, like a V twin or whatever in a motorcycle, the M two, it has that characteristic, the thump. Yeah. The thump. Yeah. It's the cyclic rate. And Oh my God, a 50 uncorking from the barrel every time. Like that's a big explosion. Yeah. Yeah, So to,
1: to be around that, you know, again, it's hard. it's, It's hard to explain like this until you've done it, but to be around that and for someone to say now, shoot that from your shoulder and this rifle you can pick up. You're, like, you're not going to walk. You're going to run away. Like, it's, no. I would definitely that. think that. Yeah. So, and that's what he said. So, you know, he's there with pony and, and, and he says, yeah, you know, I'm going to design one of these. And, and I think dad was like 26 or 27 or 28 at the time. The guy's like, right. You know, and, and the company, uh, the rainbow company was bidding at that time on what's the, the grenade launcher with a hot 40 millimeter high pressure grenade launcher
0: the mark uh um oh. the, Ma mark the Ma deuce m2 Mm-mm. no, mark the no one. he's talking about the 40 millimeter belt oh, fed oh my 19 19. 19. Oh, mark 19 19 yep they were bidding right. on the mark 19 contract. thank you jay glad yeah, you man, made man, it what, what is nice. the
2: m2 the, the m2 is a
0: 50 cal
1: oh,
2: okay
0: yeah. okay yeah so he's talking about the 40 millimeter
1: got it belt fed yeah so they were bidding to try to win that contract for that at the time and this you know, Dad was like, well, hey, you know, if I design this fifty cal rifle, can you guys build this? And Dad feels that Pony like kind of appeased him by saying, yeah, you know, we're gonna win this contract, and then yeah, you bring this that, and we'll we'll do that, sure, whatever. Like like you would tell somebody, like, yeah, would you please go away? Like you're crazy. So Dad says, you know, like six months later, he shows up. He said, like, well, I got this thing. You know, I got this rifle and and they're like, What uh. man,
0: this is why I give young people always the benefit of the doubt. I mean, yeah. think about my company now. I'm the second oldest person and probably soon will be the oldest person. I think the oldest person probably retiring within the next year and young people like I love it, like think you can conquer the world because if you think it, you can like your dad now in his 60s would probably not believe he could do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he wouldn't be as enthusiastic. He wouldn't be as driven. We, we lose our appetite for risk. You know, you've done a lot of stuff. You're like, uh, Yeah. You know, you, you've lost a lot more. You know, yeah. so, yeah, it's interesting. And and so, anyway, is that who built the first guns? No. Oh. They said that we lost the Mark
1: 19 contract. Earlier, but, <laughs> you know. So, uh, you know, that that wrote. And, you know, this is the super short version of all. You can imagine all the 2AMs drawing on stuff, getting local machine shops to, like, you know, or or fabrication yeah, shops I to was, press, break you metal.
0: I was there for five
1: years. I get it. So he, he did that like bumming, you know, it, it would be like the equivalent of sleeping on your friend's couches. Like I'm just bumming around machine shops trying to get this stuff made. Yeah. So all of that happened while he was running the photography business, while, you know, I was, you know, whatever I was, four years old. Um, Then I had a sister, you know, so he's got like these two little kids at home in a rental house. You know, when I was born, we lived in, I can't even call it a studio. It's like an attic. We lived in an attic in one of my grandfather's rental houses that you climbed up a wood staircase on the outside of the house. Man. You've seen him like
0: it was Chris be... Jefferson, you moving on up because oh, you, you live in that big palace now. Dude. But my mom had a Monte Carlo boy with white walls. And <sighs> Every the... fancy woman in the
1: 80s had a Monte Carlo in the and South. My, you know, my dad always made sure, but I mean, my, my dad, I remember him driving salvage cars, like a Volkswagen Scirocco with like, it was black Scirocco. with a white door on it, you know, because he got it from the junkyard because the other one was wrecked. So we, it was. You know, the original rifle was built at the end of our gravel driveway in a woodshed with a gravel floor that Dad bought a carpet for and put down, like rolled out carpet over gravel. And then they realized that you would lose roll pins or springs if they fell on the carpet. So they flipped the carpet over so it was backing <laughs> so you could find the pin if you dropped it. So that's where the first rifle was like hammered together, welding, that sounds like guiding.
0: Iron Man when he's over. In yeah, and he's in, in right. cave, imprisoned,
1: and makes the suit. So that house is in downtown Murfreesboro, right off of Main Street. Like, all the rich people have done Main Street for all the nice historic houses, and it's amazing. In their backyards is where people like us lived. You know, yeah. like, just right off of Main Street. So it's this little house, this rental house, and that's, I, I should have, I should have you should gone. You buy it. I should, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been, it's not in our family anymore. I should have gone and got the original shed and like deconstructed it and put it in storage, like in flat to, to rebuild it one day for the museum. Put the I mean, prototype in there in the Smithsonian oh, or something. Like with a wax figure of Ronnie Barrett. Like, <laughs> like a hacksaw. With that over. hair. Yeah. Just oh, Looking,
0: looking <laughs> so, for roll pins on the floor. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, you know, that's, <laughs> really, that's really how it started. And, you know, it's because a guy thought it would be cool to shoot a 50 cal, but like at the time, you know, M2 is a hassle. You know, it's crew served. Which means it takes more than one dude. Like it's it's seventy five pounds. You have, yeah. to have belts. It burns money. Well, yeah, because you know?
0: I, I used to when we we're talking about imported ammo. So I still have pallets of the Greek ammo that mm. I bought sixty nine cents a round, linked, mm. and that's what I shoot. But when I go to shoot my M twos, you know, I take the gun, take the barrel. That's two trips. Take yeah. the tripod with T and E and then you set it up. Headspace, timing, deep breath, pop a couple rounds. Yeah, you know, what I mean, like it's it's 30, 45 minutes to set the gun up just to shoot it. So it's it's very different than yeah, taking your Glock or taking your AR to the range, pop a mag in it and shoot. Right. And, like, and if you fuck up, it can kill you. So
1: that was the motivation for Ronnie Barrett to make a fifty cal rifle. It was not for a military requirement. It was. It was pure enjoyment of our freedom and our and our creative abilities and our creative freedom in this country to be able to do that. It's awesome. You know, if you lived in a communist place where you weren't allowed to touch a firearm, you would never invent anything like this. That's true.
0: Unless unless
1: some institute, you know, funded by the government was paying you to sit in front of a drawing board and do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Saying saying that, you know, thinking about like liberals in this country that want to shut gun companies down. And I'm always like the first thing. Okay, we're going to buy our guns from the Chinese or the Russians right yeah what if they want to invade us and don't want to sell us guns like who makes the guns like it's oh you want to have a government program because the government's so fucking efficient we used to try to do that I and mean, it's there were dumb and we shut them
1: down because the government doesn't do anything efficient. no
0: no so oh, oh, with that being said so ronnie barrett with his short shorts in the gravel garage humble beginnings how many countries utilize the barrett Eighty-two or one oh seven now, man. It's in I want to say sixty or something. Like it's everywhere, you
1: know. All NATO allies have 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 some, have some relationship with it. If it's an official fielding or special purchase, yeah. But but we have you know we have a long list that it's official fieldings where they have their own names. You know, Norway ng eighty two, yeah, uh,
0: Germany gewehr eighty two. You know, Germany, the
1: Germans adopted a rifle made by Tennessee. Not, I mean, that is that pretty
0: happen. funny. If you've spent any time with HK or Germans, I mean, you guys would realize, I mean, their philosophy is they hate everyone that's not German. Everyone's stupid that's not German. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean. It's, it's unusual for them to buy firearms
1: elsewhere, and it's really unusual yeah. for them to have one made in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Yeah. So.
0: Okay, so, well, well then... What happened in those twenty years? So we're talking about nineteen eighty-two, and it's like officially adopted, I, I think, by our military, which should have been the first. Twenty years later, but it wasn't the U.S. first. And I
1: hope I get this right. I hope I get this right. I need. I might need data. I believe it was. Um, I believe it was
0: Sweden. It's not surprising. I will say, even with my old companies, S- Sweden's always been an early adopter. Mm-hmm. They're very progressive. Sweden, Norway, Denmark, Mm -hmm. like those countries are are pretty great. But, like, what was going on with Barrett, Chris and Ronnie Barrett, 1982 to 2002? Like, what were you guys doing? Where were the guns going? Who was the consumer? Mm -hmm. You guys developed more guns in that time period? Dad
1: started suitcasing this rifle, you know, to
0: things early. And this is, again, this is part of the. So to people that wanna understand, that means he like basically packed it in a suitcase, went around trying to sell it.
1: Yeah. You know, when if you're suitcasing, that means you don't have a dime to buy your own booth at a trade show or to hire a sales force. It means you are hoofing it out there on the street, peddling your product. Like and this is how in this country, you know, with capitalism you can start something. And you American know, he, dream. He took it to the Houston gun show and like set it on a table with a VHS player that he yeah. he says he whooped the tape because he could only make the rifle and fire a few shot. times. And so it would look like, yeah, look at, look at it Smart. rip off these five rounds. Boom, boom. You're just like whooping tape. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, and it, took it, I orders. admire
0: your dad the fact that he's willing to admit that. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's cool. cool.
1: It's cool after you made it. Like you can fake it till you make it. But then yeah. when you make it, you can tell all this But stuff.
0: But knowing him and understanding a little bit of the story, like his very first prototype, he's able to get one or two rounds to fire at a time. But he knew and wasn't going to give up. He knew it was going to work and be successful. He knew that wasn't the end. That was just the beginning, and he was on to something.
1: So that was called Model 82, and, he, and that's what he did know. And it's, it's been refined and refined since then. And then A1 came along, I think, maybe in 86.
0: Do you know what the difference? Do you yes. remember? Okay, what's it's the difference? It's the thing
1: then? that makes it really, really work. It's the accelerator system that's in the bolt carrier. The accelerator system... Um, you know, the, 82, the Model 82 series is a recoil-operated firearm, which means it does not utilize gas being, coming off of the back of the bullet. You know, the AR-15s that we're familiar with are the AK-47 port gas off of the barrel and capture the expanding high-pressure gas that is behind the projectile after the projectile passes that port and uses that energy, that gas, to make the op, the rifle operate. Recoil-operated firearms, like a handgun, like a pencil, or the M250, the M2 use energy... From the recoil of the exiting bullet that that moves the mass of the barrel, and uses that energy to operate the action. So, so that's how the moving barrel. Yes, you know. and you know it's it wasn't the first rifle like that. John Browning did that stuff a long time ago, and somebody might have done it before him. A, a, uh, yes. a recoiling barrel. I mean, yeah,
0: it's, it, John Browning wasn't the first, but the M2 is like the most probably the most significant mm-hmm. gun that. I can think of.
1: That. I think the A five shotgun is it's a long recooperated. Yeah. It's yeah. significant, and it's a it's amazingly reliable. So good recooperated firearms can be very reliable, and often they have less. Um, there's less fouling because we're not moving gas around. Like all the gas is just going at the end of the barrel.
0: Y- yeah, and that's well, it. you know, when you think about, it's not as accurate as it could be having a moving right. barrel. But if you put a mass like a big piston over an AK forty seven. You're not going to get the accuracy because you have a big mass reciprocating Mm -hmm. over the barrel. Um, So like the AR to me is an improvement in that regard because then we have just an impingement. So we have a tube that funnels gas. So you're not giving a mass that moves. Yeah, there's no perfect solution. But what it does enable you to do with that moving barrel is to have something that's lightweight that you could potentially shoulder fire. Yes. So it mitigates recoil.
1: It uses recoil energy and dissipates it into the reciprocating... Yeah, the, this, the operation system. Yeah, so
0: the cycling of the
1: firearm. So the A1, the big thing about it was the, the M82 had a bolt carrier in the most simple form, a massive bolt carrier and a barrel. The barrel recoiled until it came to a stop, and then it stopped, and then the bolt carrier continued to travel on and just rip the cartridge out of the chamber. Right? Yeah. Because the barrel came to an abrupt stop, and then the bolt carrier keeps going and just rips it
0: out. So your hope there is that you've— Passed enough pressure on out the muzzle of the barrels, the pre- it's low enough where you can extract the case. Correct. Is this okay? Well, let me ask you this: Then is the eighty two A one when the guy from Leader Dynamics came to Barrett? Ooh, I don't know. You don't know that one. This is around eighty
1: six or eighty five,
0: and the big the big
1: significant change was what's called the accelerator system, and it's a lever and a rod. Energy transfer rod that is in the bolt carrier that causes the bolt carrier at a certain point of its rearward travel to accelerate faster than the speed of the total moving mass, so it starts leaving. Oh. Uh, imagine like if I'm about to rear end you on the interstate, and but you start pulling away from me. That's what it does. The accelerator system accelerates the bolt carrier to a speed faster than the barrel, so that it runs mm. away from it, and there's no Slap hard. There's it. no hard stop and rip out of the chamber. It's more of a gradual.
0: Yeah, so so, sort of more like a long recoil. Like, you you know, basically, you know, the AR shoots nice because you have the – it doesn't – the carrier – well, the carrier stops in the receiver, but the recoiling mass doesn't stop in the receiver. You have the barrel extension. And so you're losing energy, losing energy, and the the urethane buffer, yeah, and so you you get a – it's a soft shooting gun Mm -hmm. compared to something that abruptly stops. Yes. So like a G36 – Um, is a good example the h&k gun very reliable great gun but when you shoot it compared to an ar it sucks like recoil eyes and stuff because of what you're saying and same thing with um you know the mcx adam to some degree you know you're 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 housing everything within the receiver so a short distance and so you have less mass and it's
1: another hard thing to explain but you hear often people say it shoots soft Mm-hmm. yeah smooth yeah. like it's so it's this kind of intangible thing but once you shoot it you know like yeah, i know what he's talking about it's like the recoil impulse and it's very shocking with the 82 again because you go back to this you know massive display of energy this like, sensory overload when you see an m2 go off to think that i'm going to shoot that and then you shoot it and it's like well it was loud and i felt the concussion but it's like hmm, that, that didn't that didn't hurt at all it does not hurt like no. in fact shooting a 12-gauge shotgun is much worse then shooting um, an eighty-two, for yes, the actual felt that's recoil. It's not pleasant.
0: No, three and a half inch, especially. But I tell you, that twenty millimeter that I've got in the hallway there, my Solothurn S 1000 so similar recoil. Mm-hmm. But you know that barrel probably weighs a hundred pounds. Like that's a big gun, and I was so terrified to shoot it. I didn't know anyone who had ever shot one when I shot that. The first time I shot it was actually for doing the sounds for Saving Private Ryan. Mm. I was terrified. It shoots soft. It's just the recoil is soft but long, and it pushes you back like a foot, but it's not a mule kicking you. Yeah, it's just a slow push back. So yeah. you could shoot it all day, actually. But of course, the receiver weighs a hundred pounds. The barrel weighs a hundred. You got a two hundred pound gun. Basically. It's energy over time. Yeah, you know,
1: and divided by mass. And hey, that's another John Ross, uh the Southerner.
0: Like that's a oh energy. yeah in there. Solothen, Missouri used it to like sh- shoot up the bad guys. Yeah,
1: Henry Bowman.
0: Was the character? Was name. it? Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was S eighteen one thousand. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So so um, there, there's a big change and improvement in the gun in 1986. Who's buying the guns? And, and and how is Barrett doing? And is it your father's only company at the time?
1: Yeah. Well, he was still hanging on to the photography, as you would, you know. And it wasn't. It wasn't great. It was like we are not. So what we are not is. A story of American business prowess from the beginning. That's yeah. not what we are. And it's, and it, he, he admits that as well. You know, uh, we were not a financially managed company at all. We were a passion driven company. Totally, totally. And, and, you know, might not have been here if we were a financially managed company because he was selling stuff for, for less than what it costs to make it. And he admits that, you know, he tells it in a longer way. Well, I thought I was going to make the first ones for 2000. So I sold them for 4,000, but they cost me 6,000. <laughs> So for those, i been there.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the first decade of advanced armament was that way. And I started sorting stuff out and started making money. It's like the
1: more of these we sell, the more money we lose. Like we got to stop this until you yeah. finally
0: start getting in the black, you know?
1: And so, you know, if you had had, man, so much to learn here. Like, and I want for my kids to understand business so that they can take whatever they're passionate about and then actually thrive doing that.
0: It's a balance because I think, you know, which we talked about. Well, we've talked about a lot of times, but even last night, you know, if you and I had gone to engineering school mm-hmm. or business school, would we do what we've done? Would we be mm-hmm. successful? Like, I don't know that I would have found something I was passionate about. Like, I'm pretty confident. Like, I'll never starve to death. Like, no matter the route I would have taken, I'd be able to make a living. Most people can. Um, but, you know, had your dad understood the business aspect of it, he, he probably would have never done the gun. It's like too high risk. Like, I mean, my financial advisor and stuff like that, and probably yours too, you know, it's just like, oh my God, the number of attorneys I have, and I'm sure you do as well. Like I've got a personal attorney that up until a couple months ago just works for me. And like, that's ridiculous, Mm. but it's all to mitigate risk, to try to keep me out of trouble, essentially, like whatever it is. And with finance, it's it's always the same thing. Like, you should be happy, you know, if we can get you 5%, 10% a year on your, like, whatever it is. And it's like, eh. So you would never, if you went into it uh, with that financial mindset, you know, your dad probably would have never done it. I think
1: there's a way, though, to prioritize it where this is a financial toolkit for you, a business-running toolkit. You don't have to know everything. But do you know how many people a year in the United States or around the world have great ideas but then cannot stay in business three months to make it ever happen, they can't even explore their passion. You, you go broke.
0: Yeah, I, I've never known a person for any length of time in my personal life. I think that didn't have a great idea. Right. And it's but like That's make it point.
1: happen. So I so I'm not talking about finance to the point of choking passion and and innovation. I'm just talking about the toolkit that allows you to do what you love without yeah. screwing it up. Well,
0: I, mean, I take it for granted so much because. I've worked two years in my life out of 30. And it was the second year after Remington bought my company and the second year I worked at SIG. Mm-hmm. Every other year I feel like is is a blessing and I won a competition and I get to stay here and do this. And like, what, you pay me? When I sold Advanced Armament, it didn't even occur to me I was going to continue to get paid until we negotiated my salary. And I'm like, you know, in my mind, I just got a whole bunch of money and that was a gift to me. And now we can make it way bigger because I have the resources of a big company. And I wasn't even concerned with person, like personally anymore because I had enough money and I didn't even like consider it. It it, it was strange to me, but um, Hmm. yeah, I don't know if I thought more like financially, would I take the risks that I did to develop the Hmm. stuff that I do and continue to do it today? Like, I don't think so.
1: Yeah. That's hard to say.
0: I don't know, but I think it's, very responsible of you taking that too with your kids, at least.
1: Well, I mean, I just learned this in the last decade, you know, because I, I grew up total Wild West on this stuff also. <laughs> like, hey, you know, we got a million dollars, spend
0: 999 Yeah. You know, like, let's do it. Like, let's, let's buy more machines. If and- you believe in what you're doing, I think it's very common. Mm-hmm. But stuff can go sideways quick, as you know, especially with something as expensive to make as the Barrett M107 mm-hmm. or the M82. Mm-hmm. So what was Barrett doing for 20 years? So after, you know, peddling this rifle at the Houston Gun Show and trying
1: to get, you know, getting deposits from, you know, just wealthy firearms, you know, as you see some new prototype come out that, you know, you don't even know if it's ever going to be made, like, well, I want the first one of those. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was kind of that deal. And then the first, like I said, I hope I don't mess this up. I'm pretty sure this is correct. It was Sweden. Well, you can reserve the right to change your mind. Okay, later. Yeah. I believe it, it was a, it was Sweden that used the rifle first in the role of an explosive ordnance disposal tool. Oh, for, for the for the application of smudding, which smud's an acronym that stands for something. Blah, 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 I don't know. Stands yeah. for something. It's, it's when you the, cause a low What water, acronyms do? Yeah, that you. Yeah. Yeah, they um you you damage an unexploded ordnance so that it doesn't have a high order explosion so like if there's a warhead out here in the yard we back up 500 yards and we shoot it and damage it and then it won't blow up so it's just like a super hmm. you know before before we have like all the you know Hurt locker stuff like with a robot coming up and, and taking the thing I was like we'll just shoot that thing and break it and then we'll go pick it up later you know it's and actually I think they still use it for that today too so
2: so it just won't blow up at all or it won't blow up uh, as much. Or who you knows? know, I've never yeah. tried it. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming. I, I that
0: think it, for it depends on the construction, but some we should Google it, it, it won't it Google won't blow up.
2: Google smutting. See what we yeah. get.
0: you can hurt. You can hurt the
1: bomb. Yeah, so you can mess up the bomb. So Sweden used it that way, and then um, you know, and then other people started taking note. You know, Dad, during the process of this, you know, suitcase selling, he was going to Association of the United States Army annual meetings and symposiums that were in washington dc like in the omni hotel this is another good old day stuff for NCI, me nci what, what was it a usa oh that's the army one yeah association of the united states army oh, okay. and yeah you would go to this and it was in the old school omni hotel in dc it's not there anymore right, this is another good old day thing i remember like creaky four hotels like fancy and but the the big ballroom you know raytheon is in there gd ATK like the
0: big dogs.
1: And I mean then, that's where the honey
0: badger happened. That's why I was a USA in a hallway. Oh really? Mm-hmm. But it's I don't a, stuff happens. Always there. circle back to me, but I I understand what you're saying because the people who can make the decisions are there. Yeah. And that sometimes sometimes that's the only FaceTime you get with them. Correct. And in a hallway. That's how the honey badger happened. A one two minute conversation. And everybody
1: out there definitely does not see this side of our business. And it could not be any higher contrast from the picture of Knob Creek we just painted for you or the Houston gun show. Like those are gun shows. That's like, you know, red blooded, you know, American guys like us and gals looking at guns and all this stuff. That's one thing. And people often ask me when we go to shot show, like, oh, you going to that big gun show? Well, it's not a gun show. So AUSA is not a gun show.
0: No, no, not it, at all. In that, fact,
1: like guns, like there are a couple of booths in there that, of people that manufacture guns, but you also see, you know, unmanned aircraft like drones, yeah, like, Oshkosh vehicles like huge. So, vehicles.
0: so basically, this is every tier of the army, everything they would consider buying.
2: So, is Correct. it like a bigger Suffolk? Well, Ooh, Sof- SOFIC Sof- is cooler because Sof- it's more guns and vehicles. Yeah, okay. is
0: special operations. Right. This is like that, but just the Which army, for a big army. And just like yeah. you would think, special operations, the army yeah. they take themselves very seriously. So yeah. if you go to the dinner, you have to wear a suit and shit. Yeah, so correct. I've never been to a dinner. You walk up to a huge
1: booth like the size of this house yeah. at AUSA, and it's like, what do you guys do? Oh, we handle sanitation of wastewater, <laughs> like yeah. mobile sanitation yeah. solutions yeah. for water, or we do, you know, we do, you know, training for what like oh training for hr stuff you know like so it's a usa it's like you can imagine the army is like running a country yeah so guns are nothing yeah like, it's like yeah, nothing in the but budget.
0: of course like most things it's kind of the cool boost like mobility right. or firearms or any of that those are the cool boost the thermal yeah i got a, i got a quick suffix so the the socom version of this show is in tampa every year and it's a lot more fun yeah um But I will say AUSA was better for me overall for, you know, my past company and my career. But I was in Suffolk one time, so the special operations show in Tampa, and we're walking through there, and um, I'm with one of my engineers, Super Nerd. We're walking past the General Dynamics booth, and it's amazing. They got a new booth that year. It was all modern, looked like Star Wars, and this was, had to be 12 years ago. And we turn and look at it, and uh, I'm like, my God, that's amazing. I want a booth like that. And the engineer that's with me says, you know what's funny is the kid that owns Facebook has more money than that company. (laughs) And this was 12 years ago. Anyway, a little little tidbit. So
1: that's, you know, this is where Ronnie Barrett was suitcasing with the rifle and getting it. You know, he he it's the place to be. That was smart. He said he was sneaking it onto other people's tables that sold like night vision. But like, hey, wouldn't this night vision look cooler with this awesome space rifle underneath it? You know. Yeah. And so he would get. I used to do the same thing. Exposure and you don't own a booth. I mean, mm-hmm. when you can't afford to buy a thirty thousand dollar booth or whatever it would cost in those days, that's how he did it. And the other thing that people need to realize about AUSA, it's not just United States military there; it's our allies. So. All those other guys yeah. are walking around too and you, you have to get good at recognizing the uniforms, who's got what camis on or whatever their dress is and no, those are Canadians, those are Norwegians, you know, Israel's over here, you know. So all those guys are there, right? Yeah. And so we started going there and that's how we started getting some, that's how you have to yeah, to get some international exposure. So, so in those 20 years, this is what was happening. You know, Sweden came on and I don't know who all started picking it up after that but it wasn't until for the United States, it was not until the U.S. Air Force, the U.S. Air Force procured Model 82A1s, also for EOD.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it was? Also for EOD, same deal. Because I was thinking, what would they be shooting they wouldn't have a belt fed for, but there you go. EOD
1: work, you know, and it's like, we don't think about Air Force, we don't think about par- par- jumpers either, like the, you know, yeah. PJs. Yeah, yeah, Jay, Air Force. So... But yeah, that's how that's how it first got in and then the way I kind of perceived that it, it went down after that is Rangers who are very different from Air Force CoD Army Rangers started seeing the way I tell it is they started seeing this thing this is how I perceived it they started seeing this gun out here that was not a firearm it wasn't it didn't come in as a weapon. But like to get a weapon into the U.S. military inventory, to get an M number, it is a very involved process. Yeah. But if you're buying an EOD tool, it's like credit card. Yeah. I like went. Oh, EOD really? Tools. Oh, yes. that's interesting. So they yes. did it for
0: that too. Okay. So what years are we talking here with this Air Force is, and Army? This is 80s. Late 80s, maybe. Oh, it was. Okay. I'm, the, just, I'm guessing around. Like I well, remember going to
1: Eglin Air Force Base when I was a kid because we could get on it and. Yeah. You know that was probably the 80s, like 87, 88.
0: Okay, so for six or seven years, how's Barrett selling guns, or who are they selling to, or how's there any income, or is there any? Uh,
1: you know, it was tight. It, yeah. it was, um, you know, dad had to dad had to look for mo- for money. He tells you know that he had to borrow some money, it went into a, a million dollars into debt, which in those days was a lot, dude. Mm. Uh, it was a lot, and and uh, he he always says you know like a million dollars is not a lot if you
0: have it, but if you owe it to somebody. It's like a lot of money. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, now you and I could both get a million-dollar PO with one phone call today. Right. Yeah, in the 80s. Yeah, and starting up like this, you know, and and, uh, bootstrapping up a company.
1: You know, we advertise in shotgun news. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that people will never have the joy of. Flipping through a shotgun news, like a black-and-white print book where you bought your machine gun parts. There's a newspaper that was set up like a book.
0: It was a monthly thing and there was no internet market boards or anything so if you wanted to buy a machine gun or 50 caliber ammo or whatever you got that and you looked through it really quickly find the classifieds that you wanted so you could buy it before everybody else did so the one had like ninja stars and butterfly knives absolutely yeah absolutely
1: cdnn
0: and those guys like you know surplus magazines yeah yeah stem magazines a dollar a piece i still have like boxes of hundreds of Sten magazines i bought them for a dollar a piece in the cosmo do you have any smith and wesson 76 mags? oh boy don't i can of get like
1: can i get like five or six of them
0: yes and i can tell you how you can make some very cheap i made some from the, um, the port Said mags. i did i modified them i just yeah. just trimmed them
1: and they work they work good but i would just like to have some real smith and wesson some real, yeah
0: I, i've got them sorry for the sidebar no it's good <laughs> got them in storage i'm moving my stuff from george here as i get them i'll send you some okay appreciate that yeah
1: so, that, that's what happened in the early days. Uh, Sweden, EOD, Air Force EOD, Rangers took note. And, you know, again, getting a firearm in the U.S. military inventory is no small feat. Because
0: that actually doesn't really happen until, like, the M107. I think that's after nine eleven. Yes. It's that's crazy. That's way
1: after Desert Storm because Rangers were using them, though, unofficially. So, I mean, so stuff happens, right? Yeah. I mean— Like, hey, let me me get some of them rifles over here. So, for
0: those those listening, the Gulf War really started in 1991. Yeah, Operation Desert Shield, right? I think Shield, yeah. And so, the 9-11, yeah, 10 years later, is the one everyone thinks, but it was going on before that. I was a junior in high school, or maybe a senior, but... um, yeah, that's when it happened. Those rifles were being used then, and
1: Marine Scout snipers had them. M eighty two A three sasers. So, okay,
0: so is this when the first Gulf War, we'll call it, when uh, it started being used to 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 stop like mobility and stuff, and they started shooting vehicles with it? Is 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 that how like uh, within the military, the M eighty two or the one oh seven really came to be? Is that the is that the driven purpose now? engaging light armor and yeah equipment. Uh, vehicles uh,
1: yeah but as you know a lot have a lot of personnel have been engaged also I got like, a question about that you know so a lot of that's happened but I think that was its um, I think that was maybe its original perceived role yeah. but you know just like any any decent tool people are like well we can do this with this also we well can Carlos do, this, Hath- we can do that
0: Carlos Hathcock in Vietnam using Slapping the MCnerdle on, on it yeah. shooting people with it at 2,000 yards yeah um, Okay, so okay, w- w- well, we're gonna skip ahead here pretty quick, but so so, it, it, is that when you think you or your father decided Barrett was actually successful, and that's your vocation? Like, you're not gonna do. So, it, is it like when when the military officially adopts it? Is it nine eleven oh, to where okay, there's no turning back. We're making money here. We're gonna continue to support the troops the gun successful commercially the gun successful in the military realm with you know it. there was some point in the
1: 80s where the the photography studio got shuttered and i don't know when that is i'd have to check with Dad on that and it's but you know that's kind of that's kind of burning your ships on the, on the shore like we're done like we're not sailing back yeah. it's over burn the ships so and that 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 would be what i equate the uh it's well, a different with. phase
0: yeah i mean but to the point where you can take a breath yeah you know,
1: and I, I don't know all that. I mean, bear in mind this kid, I'm, at this kid, yeah, this age, I'm still a grade school kid. Like, yeah. you know, I just want, you know, $50 for the cool sneakers. You know, I, I don't know how much money, you know, anybody had or how the business was doing, but I, but I, you know, I've heard dad talk about it. It was not always comfortable for a long, long time. Again, no. we are not financial management people, you yeah. know, and it's, um, we, we made decisions to buy things based on whether or not the money was there or not. And, and a thing I've learned, you know, in the last few years is you make, you make decisions for a company how to buy things, whether or not it's a good business decision or not. You figure out how to finance it later. Like, you know, you don't buy a machine because you have a million dollars. Well, we got a million dollars yeah. to buy a machine. No,
0: no. Like, do we need the machine? You know? And so It's like, that's how we get the million dollars. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's a thing, you know, I love the growth of the company. And so for me with, with Q, I know this is my favorite time, like, the products were innovating nonstop. Um, you, you know, now we're we're very financially sound. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably even getting a little lazy. But when I have to do it yeah, to, to feed the families, because, you know, I don't think... I've never had a layoff in 30 years. I've never laid anyone off, no matter the politics and all. We've let some people go, but that was just a personnel thing individually. Weren't the right fit or whatever. But never you know, suffered from that. And so I think as, as much as I'm willing to risk financially, I've always been, you know, by design, I mean, originally the first company, I, I wanted debt and couldn't yeah. get it. Yeah. And, and I just learned to operate without it. But, but you know, now with the company, it's, it's like looking at growing the machine shop, looking at doing all these things. And I think what you're saying is where, where Adam and I are now is like, well, oh my God, do we want to spend a million dollars on that? Well, okay, let's look at the, this year's projection. Okay, it's going to cost us $2 million not to spend this million right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And so you're just stupid. You have to do it. It's right. like, do we want to spend a million dollars on these machines? No, but... Well, you, you made the decision
1: based on the outcome. Yeah. Not on whether or not we could afford it.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically... Because
1: sometimes you can get something even if you can't afford it out of cash. I mean, and if you need to use debt, you need to do that if it's a sound business decision but
0: yeah I mean I think with my history I mean we don't even do it but I would love to but I could use debt responsibly because I'm you know it's a motivator
1: for a lot of companies
0: for a lot of people I mean I think I do it differently like I like my back being against the wall but not necessarily at this age after everything I've been through financially so I don't know that has a lot of bearing on me but it's just we look at it and it's like if we believe in the product we believe we're going to grow 100 percent this year Let's look at the end of the year. Would we want this stuff? The answer is yes. We need to do it right now. Yeah. We're already behind. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a gun podcast, wasn't I? I know. Okay. What are you drinking? Let's, let's get to it. Uh, tequila. What What you got? Uh, some of this uh, oh, high,
1: high
2: west
0: way. whiskey. Let's get it in us.
2: All right. Let's go. Is this happening? Mm.
0: Oh. Okay. So, so to, to firearms. I mean, I, I think that kind of tells a story, and that's who Ronnie Barrett is, and- um, he's just an interesting character to me, even within the industry. You know, no different than Reed Knight, and 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 saying that with like the highest regard, like Reed Knight, Knight's Armament. When I got into firearms, I actually didn't even know what the Barrett was. Like I'd never heard of it until I was actually in the in the guns. But Knight's Armament and HK are the reasons I got into the industry. Yeah. Companies that inspired me. And your dad, no, no different than Reed Knight in my eyes. Like. He's going to do this thing. He's going to be successful. And smart guy would probably, your dad and Reed, probably be successful at anything they did. But it took a lot of grit and yeah. a lot of risk. And, you know, it, it, it's never, I mean, the people, you know, I mean, the people that make all the money are the people that are willing to risk, it seems. You know, if you want something that's a, a guarantee, you know, your dad wouldn't have done a shoulder fired 50. Yeah, that's right. I mean, why in the world would that ever be successful? And you know what I love is, is is you know in my last in the thirty years I've been in the industry, is like you know the fifty was starting to die. It seemed a little bit the the M one hundred seven, where we go. You know, for instance, after 9 11, and I think that's probably when y- Y'all's gun was adopted. But then, you know, the main target, Bin Laden, we go in the Hindu Kush after him, and they want soldiers to have a single gun and ammo they can carry and shoot 1600 meters, and 338 Lapua Magnum comes on. From my perspective, yeah. and I want to hear yours. And it's like that kills the 50 a little bit. And then they develop AI or, uh, you know, our AP. Three thirty-eight, so armor piercing. Yeah. But what they find is it doesn't stop vehicles and stuff. Yeah, the um,
1: so interest in programs and certain tools does ebb and flow over the years, and it happens because more now because we have. I mean, there's a lot of turnover or throughput of people in the military.
0: Yeah, the guys that make those decisions and at the higher level, year and they're gone. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Because what people don't realize, these aren't career guys, like at the most elite level, the guys that are the most, and you disagree with me if you want, but from my perspective, the most influential guys, they are in that job, in the most elite organization in the history of the world, because they are one, injured, two, maybe getting divorced, three, retiring, and Mm -hmm. and they are there for six months to a year. And they have their own philosophy. Sometimes that guy's a sniper. You know, sometimes he's not. So I went through several generations of that and they influence SOCOM and big army more than anyone that I've ever seen. Yeah. I I can't say why they're there, but the fact
1: is that they are there for, for some period of time and they're gone and your program may not have interest in it anymore.
0: Yeah. And and what people don't realize is, is the organization I'm talking about, they are all operators. They are all guys who were in the currently in the group, but they're on some sort of break and, They've been there, done that. And a lot of times, I mean, those guys are very different. I mean, even within those organizations, the most elite groups, some of the guys love guns. Some of the guys, it's just a tool like anything else. Yeah. And some of the guys are snipers, so they have their own philosophies on long-range stuff. So the 338
1: that you're bringing up yeah. to all this point, yes, that happened. And we started having this like kind of it's kind of like mission drift for your product. Like I think what happened was people started – we started losing our memory of what the eighty-two system, the M one hundred seven system does, and we started kind of painting it into another box. The, the funny thing about the M one hundred seven is it's called a long-range sniper rifle. It is. That's what we call. That's what it's called in the U.S. military inventory: a long-range sniper rifle.
0: Is that what Barrett called it? And not what I would call it? Um, I don't see it.
1: I don't see it uh, particularly in that role uh, um, in the traditional way that we think about a sniper rifle.
0: All right, well, I want to ask you a question because I agree, but. What is the longest shot you know of confirmed kill enemy combatant with a 107 or M82? The one I'm most
1: familiar with is that Staff Sergeant Nick Randstad, U.S. Army, uh, because he was in our documentary on Discovery Channel called Snipers, Inc., if anybody wants to see that. It's a a good show. Um, He was in that, and he, you know, it was over 2,000, and he told how it happened. It's kind of a lot like the story you told earlier they were in a fixed position with the rifle, and there was a big boulder like two thousand plus out there. Oh, so he was able to range that. Dope doping it every day. Like we shoot that boulder every day. And well, today a guy stepped out in front of it. It's <laughs> so, like we know the dope. Like, I got my. I'm dialed for it. I know exactly where to hold. And the dude stepped out, and he got dealt. You know, so oh, that's that, awesome. I don't, and I don't know the exact range. You know, and it we it always bounces back and forth between the you know United States, Canada, and the Aussies of who's got the long yeah. shot. And so, I don't know, but that's a big bragging point and something people always ask me about. I never know the exact number.
0: Well, it's pretty cool. I mean, I tell you videos and stuff that I've seen. Of, for instance, you know, an organization or a group that goes, in, you know, without notice a lot of times, but the Coast Guard. I've seen so many great yeah. videos of the Coast Guard in helos, shooting boats, running drugs and stuff with oh, yeah. the Barrett. Hitron. Oh, those are great. Hitron team and 160th Sword does a lot
1: of shooting like that. So the thing on 338 versus 50 and that, that whole thing, like when the interest started dying off maybe in it, and I think it's because of this, you know, we, we see something the way we name it. And when you start calling that thing a sniper rifle and try to force it into that, pigeonhole under into that role, well, we all know that 82 is not what you shoot this coffee cup out of my hand with it. A thousand meters. That's not what you use for that. I mean, you're right when you say sniper. uh, Oh, it's got to be half MOA. It's not the M107 is not that precise. That is not its strong suit. It's not why the rifle is effective. That the rifle is effective because it weighs thirty pounds base, and it carries ten rounds that you can rip off with with reasonable accuracy Mm -hmm. and deliver major payload. And 338 sniper rifles and 300 normal bags, they do not do that. No nope. rifles don't have the same role. So, if I'm guarding a, a street, a rooftop, a dam, if I'm guarding an embassy, you know, and f- from who knows what, do you want to be laying there with a rifle that shoots quarter MOA and I can fire like as fast on as crank? Or do you want to be laying there with an M107 loaded with Rothus that, okay, there is a truck coming down the street that's, a, that's got a. So, machine basically, in the back, incendiary, boom,
0: boom, boom. armor piercing
1: blowing stuff up right i would not want to be there with my 338 bolt gun i want that 50 that i can way, way waste from
2: well it's super effective on target but then it's a good psychological weapon too
1: oh yeah like like raw rounds start popping around you boom 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 boom, you know just as fast as you can pull the trigger and you can um if there was a vehicle rolling down this road 300 meters out i can empty that 10 round magazine into that thing Mm -hmm. at 300 meters so fast like as fast as i can get the trigger pulled all right it's amazing
0: i want to say a couple things First off, it's a good point. Like an engine block is basically at a 1,000 meters, 4 or 5 MOA. Yeah. So do you need to be half MOA or you want to be reliable and fast? Excellent point. Second of all, I watched a video on Jerry Mikulik. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. And he shot a Barrett 107. Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean the standing well, I mean he's win. an Elon Musk alien. But yeah, standing. Yeah. Standing, and he's not a giant man. He's smaller right. than me, but a man's man. Um he shot the one hundred seven, twenty inch barrel, I believe. Yeah. Six rounds in under one second on target. Yeah. Like incredible. I didn't believe it when I saw the caption of the video. I watched it two times. Yeah. My man can shoot. So the rifle six does 50 caliber rounds into something in under one second. Accurately. And that was at a shorter range. But it does. He's also standing. Yeah.
2: Not a
1: big fellow. There is um there is an outfit that I, I know I'm aware of and I follow on Instagram called Tac Flow. And they do a lot of training for police with 50 calibers. So they have a 50 caliber interdiction really? course. They show a lot of every, shooting move, moving
0: vehicles. Every it's amazing. Do, watch Killdozer. I mean man, every Yeah, every police department should have one because you can stop a vehicle with a 50 cal. But my understanding, going back to what I was talking about, some of the groups that were early adopters of 338 Mm -hmm. to replace the role of the 50 were the first people to go back to 50 for vehicle introduction because the 338 uh, armor-piercing rounds wouldn't stop it reliably, where a 50 cal... And you it's, know. it's that and the 10-round semi
1: automatic ability. It's um Yeah, you don't get it in a 3-3. It's different. They they're not the same role. No. And you know, if if I needed to hit if I needed 70% first round hits at a thousand on people, it's not what I would take. Valid point.
0: Man, I used to be like y'all. I was out here in the cold, didn't know what to wear. I'd have a date. I might be late, didn't know what to do. Tactical distributors changed my life. Impossible 15 got me 15% off. It was like a a fashion mullet. Business up front, party in the back. It's interesting because I get a lot of um, industry hate. Uh Uh-huh. I think, and and I don't know why. I mean, it can't be because I run my mouth.
1: <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, but, but, um,
0: but, but I think, you know, our products are, are in more direct competition with other companies. Like, you guys, when I started thinking about your core product, and, and and I think that's changing, which we'll get to, but with the 50, do you have, like, really industry competition or haters? Um, I think it's felt that way in the
1: past. I think those guys, I think that vibe is kind of going away. Uh, but it's... um. On the fifty Cal Alley, I mean, we own, we own that Alley.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I it, can't even think of competition anymore.
1: So it's like, you know, when we see, you know, like Armite used to have a fifty caliber single shot, you know, and we, it's like, hey, that's cool. You see one around us, like, we're all friends. Like, they don't anymore? I don't even know if they make it anymore. I have no idea. You know, that company has changed hands and Oh, I didn't that. even know. Yeah, they became part of a group.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Okay, so you being a little kid going to work at Barrett. Mm-hmm. So what's your role been and and I kind of know some of this and, and and what was the first gun you were really involved in the development side of it's
1: a rifle that is not in current production but it is called the Model ninety eight not ninety eight B it is a semi automatic three thirty eight and you've never seen anything like it there's one uh, I designed really? it by pro engineer and it is weird it looks like Honestly, it looks like an accuracy international AEWI or whatever. It looks like that thumbhole stock, but it operates some automatically.
2: Really? It looks
1: like a bolt action that cycles itself. It's the weirdest thing. Like it yeah. Well what happened, did not it in production? <clears throat> well, this this would be the part where we where the movie fades back <laughs> to, uh, to to how this started. So, you know, ninety eight, it was a ninety model ninety eight, as as our industry does, we named things after the year we used to. That's going away.
0: But um, I graduated high school in '96. See, I, I thought the the single shot 50 was your. your that was '99. Oh, it's the model '99. Okay, '98 okay. is the predecessor. It's a weird so thing. you like your dad, crazy Barretts. So you jump in the deep end. You're like, hey, I'm going to do 338 semi. Yeah, right the, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, go ahead with your store. So.
1: You know my early my early stuff. I, of course, I did early stuff in the company. You know, I was out there stress relieving welds like when I was a little kid, like you know, ten years old, like with a settling torch and some glasses on, and yeah. I did all that stuff. You know, deburring and grinding, assembling. I think I assembled three hundred sets of scope rings onto scopes for a country uh, that you know I like was filled on the rifles. Like was all the scopes were mounted by like a thirteen year old. You know, <laughs> so. I don't know. so, that, Reality is what we're talking about. I've been in it, you know, so I, I was doing all that stuff and I was always fascinated about what was going on at the home shop, you know, which the shop Barrett was at my home for the first part of my life. Even though we moved, it went from that. Oh, so he
0: continued the garage situation. Yeah. We moved to a bigger garage. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. So we got a house with two stories.
0: Oh,
1: yeah, on. Circle around. driveway. Yeah. And uh, we had a nice, bigger garage, and, you know, so, you know, Barrett went from, you know, one garage to another in the early days, and I did that, you know, then, uh, you know, going through high school, I got into, um, uh, we had a drafting class in high school, so I graduated from a public high school, and, um, wow, that was, it was terrible, like, you know, just just awful, but we did have a, dra- we had a drafting class, and we had pro engineer, you know, that we didn't really, we weren't 3D modeling in high school, was it pro E we had? No, it wasn't. It was AutoCAD. We had AutoCAD with a digitizer tablet, you know, where you move it's like a Ouija board. Yeah. You know, you move the little target thing over the different icons and uh, we would draft, you know. So we're drawing in 2D. And of course, me and all my buddies in the back row were in there draw, drawing like car wheels, you know, like yeah. using the array function to make a wheel and doing all this cool stuff and just and goofing. But it, it did make me fall in love with, um, you know, design in design, that, in that yeah. medium too. Like, yeah. and, you know, not going from, I mean, of course, when I was a kid, I drew tanks and guns and motorcycles and cars on paper, but now like, we're doing it on a screen and, you know, I, so I graduated high school in 1996 and I never stepped foot on a university campus. I've never been to college. Um, the, uh, I've learned a lot though. Like, So I'm a learner. I'm just not a schooler. Well, you
0: know? I, I want to stop you there. It, it's like when anyone ever asks me, people like in the industry or who my friends in the industry are, or they single you out and ask me about you and you, um, you know, I got no reason to kiss your ass. I don't need a Barrett firearm. I don't need anything from you, but you're one of my favorite people in the industry and it's, you know, you're a joy to hang out with first of all. But to me, you're like a Renaissance man and knowing the history of second generation. And we all know lots of second generation where it doesn't work out. Um, but knowing that you went to high school, went to work with the family business and seeing your growth, even since the time I've known you like personally, and that always translates into professionally. It's like inspiring to me. And like, I love it and honor you with that. And it's always like a topic of conversation when people ask me about the industry. Cause I'm not friends with tons of people in the industry. Like I didn't get in the industry to make friends. I don't like a lot of gun people. Yeah. And, but you i have always admired and like, you know, what do we spend most of our time talking about? You know, like other business, our children, education, things we've learned, how we're different than our parents, what we want for our children. You know, that's very different. So no, that's, I, I that's, respect you with
1: that. That's touching and sincere. And I appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Thank you. I'll give I you a hug same, after. I feel the same about you. Yeah, not, not on camera, though. Okay. <laughs> the. Uh... <But> all right. <laughs> Man, so, thank you. You're thank welcome. You. But, it, but I mean, that's sincere. Like. You know, you and Trey and a few other people I know in the industry that I really care about and respect. You know, it's it's just interesting to me because you know the opportunity you've had or to be like a, a freaking bomb, you know, and just okay, be a yes man. That to your wasn't dad. an opportunity in my family. You know, not, not working <laughs> but, for Ronnie. You Curry. know, you could, I mean, but also Ronnie knowing him as much as I do, uh, being a personality of such, you clearly had an opportunity to be a yes man to your father. Yeah. And to just do what he wanted, and, and, and that's leading so so now, you didn't do that three thirty eight semi auto, like what the hell? And then you do your own fifty cal.
1: Yeah, you know we and and I can't say that we've been in opposition like we've uh, we have different styles. He and I do, but it's um it's it's super. It's in
0: retrospect now it's all been very healthy, like shop sharpening a sword. Yeah, absolutely. You use decimals and <laughs> <You> know, computers <laughs> and decimals. Yeah, crazy. So progressive.
2: Yeah.
1: But that—that's what I did, you know. I got out of high school, and I think um, that summer right after high school, you know, I just I took a jeep apart, like every single nut and bolt, and just, you know, I always worked on cars with dad since I was like twelve or thirteen. Yeah. I was always in the shop, and you know, that's where I—that's where I kind of became a metal whisperer, you know, like knowing how far you can bend, like you know, you know, welding, grinding, all that stuff. So I got a lot of skills. Yeah, working
0: education's on great, but experience and a mentorship—take mm-hmm. it any day of the week. So I did that and then
1: immediately got to work at the company. And, um, you know, I'd already been doing things for Barrett, uh, you know, just growing up in that. But it actually coming in and punching, like, we actually had a time clock. Like, with the car, we put it in there and pull the lever and it goes, ka-chunk. You know, like, we were kind of, you know, it was old school, like, even in 96. I mean, that's, when I was a kid, my job, same way, yeah. 97. So I started doing that, you know, and I, I operated a bandsaw and I deburred parts, like, endless. Like you know, knock this corner off this, put a radius on that, put a chamfer on this.
0: That's good. I mean, I respect your dad for that. That's all the basic shit. Like, Sitting in front of, of a
1: sandblaster lamp. for like oh. eight hours, like, like sandblasting components, parkerizing stuff, you know. And then, um, and then I would and then I would move over to something else. I'm like, well, hey, can I do this? Can I assemble these sub assemblies? Can I, you know, can I operate this CNC machine? Just like put and take, or can I, you know, operate this manual? Uh, manual mill or whatever, just simple jobs. So I kind of bounced around to different things. But one thing I did, um, every, every job I did, I was like, I always look for a way to improve it. I I was never satisfied. So the guys were training like, yeah, you put this, you know, half inch bar stock in here, you slide it over seven inches, you saw it off. And I'm like, well, why am I doing one at a time? Why don't I stack five of these together? Furthermore, why don't I take 10 and have the welders weld them all together on the end for bar stock? So I've got like one bar and I just saw off like 10 at a time. Yeah. And you know, like that, that pissed guys off. I think like guys that have been there like, well, why are you doing that this way? Cause dude, I don't have time to do one at a time. Yeah. I, I mean,
0: I think it's a difference. I mean, I think I talk about it a lot with, with, with me for instance. So I relate to you because I'm not smart enough to invent a lot of new things, but I am smart enough to improve a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. And, and I do see people, whether it's advanced armament or it was at Remington or SIG or our company now, Where there are people, you show them a job, Mm -hmm. and there's a certain personality, they're going to do that. And, and, you know, there's a place for that. They're going to do the same thing, what you told them, every time for the next 20 years, reliably. And then we have those people, and they're the all-stars, who they do that, and they do it, and they're like, well, there's a way to improve this. And before we know it, we've got production people who are making improvements, and and that needs to be honored, and, you know, we can bonus them or do whatever.
2: But it's not everyone. Uh, no, it's not. No. So, some people just want to fill their day because they're hourly employees. Some people yeah. want to actually you know, improve on the company. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well,
0: that's a cultural thing. And you and I talk about it a lot. Like, how do you get people to want to stay at Barrett, to want to grow, um, to inspire them? And, you know, I want the same thing because I would much prefer to pay more money but have fewer employees. Because right. employees are the biggest pain in the ass. They're also your greatest asset, and it's who your company is, and it's who mm-hmm. you need to invest in um but there's some you can't convince or save well I was just that guy and I don't think at the time I had
1: I don't think I had the idea I mean I I didn't grasp but you know that this is my my company yeah you know that this will be my company that this is our family legacy that this is a multi-generational I don't think I grasped that at the time I mean I'm I'm 17 18 years old I'm like man I want some money so i can buy a stereo for my car yes you you know I but, yeah, but also... A cuter girl, yeah. Right, but I mean. but you also can't convince me to take eight hours to solve this bar up if I can do it in four, like, you know... Like, yeah,
0: because I, it's all I, like, oh, I need to get done because I'm going to meet my friend, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like, man, I'm lazy, efficient. Like, I'm going to get this done, and I want this right.
0: So I
1: did those jobs, Um, but then, you know, I started... I, I was not satisfied. I never have been to, like, set in one place for a while on anything. You know, it's like, I've done this, I'm tired of this, and I'm looking at... Um, I'm looking at our drafter, our draftsman, you know, and as a guy that worked, he's still at the company. He's our oldest employee. Are and you his serious? His name is Chris Vassar, an incredible guy, and it's just been with us forever. You know, but he and dad, draft board, you know, on an angle, you know, sliding. I, I'm serious. Man, I remember this, seeing Doug Olson at Knight's Armament. That's what
0: he used. 1997.
1: You know, like, I mean, it's kind of unacceptable already at this time, but that's how we were working, you know, paper electronic erasers where you you can erase a line, like move geometry, you know? So you could break all kinds of geometric rules. So I was like, guys, we need a computer. We need a computer. (laughs) And uh, so I bought the first computer. And I mean, I remember, man, it was like $4,500 for this workstation. It was unheard of. And my dad let me do this. So my, you know, my dad, um, he challenges me on, on anything I've ever wanted to do, vigorously sometimes, yeah. And it takes a long time to convince him. But but inevitably, he lets me do what I need to do. And, and you know, he's like, uh, you know, I, th- I think most of them worked out. But I got to buy I mean, this. I think
0: that's great. I mean, he probably could have benefited from that, too, as smart as your dad is, like being challenged by someone else an exterior force other than just, like, finances or whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, someone that he respected and admired, like you with your father, if he had had that, yeah. probably would have been better for him. It's great, Well,
1: I'm, I'm so thankful he let me do this, and I think everybody is. Like, I bought the first – computer and a seat of pro engineer, you know, so I was a pro engineer, that, that was like four or five. So it was like a $4,500 computer and a $4,000 copy of this license for pro engineer. I mean,
0: and it doesn't seem like much money now because no. I think typically we're doing millions, but talking back then, like a lot of times, I mean, I imagine it was with Barrett because it was with me at the time, like every thousand dollars counts. Oh, and you talked to
1: 1998 Ronnie Barrett about spending eight to $9,000 on a box with lights on it. You know, it's not it's not like a thing that like well that that thing makes parts. No, well, it's like a computer. Like what? Well, with that you said, know? for people who,
0: who are listening or watching, we just had a break, and your dad called you, and, and he's questioning you about his yard guy or something. Yeah, yeah. If he if he's ripping them off. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just that generation. Our parents, man, they just they were poor. Yeah. And, yeah. And and, and and and
1: been through some tough things, and
0: those yeah. things shape you, and they
1: shape your decision making. Yeah. So I bought that first workstation and put pro engineer on it. And uh, dad and I sat in the same office that was smaller, smaller than this room. His desk was like on this side, about like this looking over there. Then my desk would have been over there and he could see my screen, you know? So I sat in a corner in a corner desk files laid out, you know, gun parts all over it. I had my, I had some digital calipers, you know, and we sat there and I drew this thing called the model 98. I modeled this up. Um, At the time, it was during the Clinton era. It was during yeah. the Clinton crime bill. So,
0: semi automatics. Yeah, it started in 94.
1: You know, so for those of y'all, well, this isn't the greatest example, but for those of you who don't know, like, we couldn't have this on a yep. semi automatic rifle. We could not have this. If it had a pistol grip, it couldn't have other features. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, such as bayonet lug, flash hider. But if
1: it had a thumb hole. I could be some automatic and have a magazine. It, it was so stupid. The, yeah, because you had to
0: have a ten round mag otherwise. Yeah, the crime right. bill.
1: So like that was that was the day. You know, when we couldn't have a flashlight or a thread. We couldn't have a threaded muzzle. No, couldn't have a threaded muzzle. That's right. We needed a threaded muzzle. So we had a rifle. We wanted to draw a rifle with a thumb hole stock. So
0: we were looking at the, yeah, basically just to circumvent stupid. You know regulations and laws that made liberals feel better that Clinton actually did something. D- they to did something right. Assault
2: weapons and gun violence. Unfortunately, so, some states still suffer from that. You know, are you serious? Massachusetts, all the scary yeah. states. Oh yeah, Connecticut. Own the fun stuff: Massachusetts, New Jersey, no, Connecticut. No California. surprise with those idiot yeah. states. You know? the
1: legislation hampers creativity and innovation. But, you know, long story there. So I started drawing this rifle, and we were looking at the accuracy. But it's
0: cool to say. I mean, that's why it had a thumb hole stop.
1: Yeah. It's one of the things that kind of drove it. You know, just it's the same thing that started many other features we see on rifles now. It's like, why well, would you do that?
0: Because well, yeah. Well, the, the crime bill, for those who don't know, is 94 to 2004, and Bush let it sunset. So you're right in the middle of it. Right in the center of it. This is when we were paying
1: $115 for a Glock 19 magazine that you found in oh, a Oh, I forgot. Because, okay, so for those you listening... You couldn't have a 10-round, over 10-round magazine. Yeah.
0: So, magazines weren't illegal, but they couldn't produce, or gun companies couldn't sell magazines over 10 rounds. But what was out there was okay. So, for 10 years, like if you wanted a high-cap mag for your Glock 17, you had to have one, you know, if it was 2003, it had to be a 10-year-old magazine. So, and the mags you, you, were $100. I, I
1: remember getting as high as 115. So, if you carried a Glock 19... And you wanted two carry mags, you had like 250 bucks. Half
0: the cost of the gun.
1: And two magazines, and then you shot your 10 round magazines at the range. Yeah. It, it, insanity, yeah. lunacy. And like, you kids, you whippersnappers don't know how good we have it. Like, it's the gun. Oh, right yeah. now. Like, all yeah. these access to these magazines. They so. might, because who wrote
0: that crime bill? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Biden. Yeah. Thank you. Joe Biden. Douchebag. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, even AR mags, like used aluminum mags were $35 yeah. at gun shows. Yeah. When they're, you know, used aluminum mag, I don't know, before Biden at least. Four COVID. bucks. Yeah, four bucks, new ones. I mean, we paid, I don't know, or we paid probably $8 for brand new ones. Amazing. So that that was the day,
1: you know, and we were looking at, um, you know, at the time. So the company, I come to the company, we are a 50 caliber rifle company. We make two product lines, the 82 platform, which is the semi-automatic, recooperative fifty, yes. and this other rifle called the Model 95, right. which is a bolt-action magazine fed, magazine fed bullpup, bullpup yeah based on the same architecture and we'll kind put, of design we'll put language. it up
0: thomas it's it's cool it, it is cool and it's like you know I can't imagine what that thing costs to make though. that's a, oh it's it's awful <laughs> yeah that's a whole nother side Do you story. guys make it right now we make it we have record orders for it this i year. should order one now. it's like crap
1: i uh, we gotta make more of these things but i mean they they are hand massaged into what they are but it it's based on the same kind of sheet metal construction as the 82 series so that was kind of like dad's two rifles, you know, he did the 82 and then it and then he like in a weekend he took parts and components from the 82 and said let's shorten the receiver and cut this off here and the bolt carrier should be about the same shape as the other one so it became kind of a um, a sister to the 82A1. It's a cool rifle. I mean it's What shaped is it? The Model 95.
0: Oh, it is. And oh.
1: the 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 receiver is hexagon shaped and clamshells apart just like the 82A1 mm-hmm. does. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, I got one from you like twenty years ago.
1: So when I came to the company, that was our two products. That was it. Yeah. It was those two. And then I start drawing this rifle. Three thirty eight was fresh on the scene, man. Yeah. Was, this was like ninety seven or ninety eight. And uh yeah, three
0: thirty eight Lapua Magnum. I don't I don't the know. The special operators were talking about it at this just time. Just starting. I mean yeah.
1: people do not Everything that's ever come along, you know, 6.5 Creedmoor, where'd that come from? 300 Blackout just came out of nowhere. No, it did not. Yeah, like Years and years and years. Years, and people don't realize it. So it was 97, 98. We're talking about three thirty eight Lapua Magnum, and we wanted to shoot that. At the time, Barrett did not make, like, a sniper rifle. We wanted a semi-automatic rifle that shot, like, a bolt action. And the AI was, like, the king at that time. Like, if you
0: wanted, like, a super precise production yep. rifle, that was the thing. I mean, it was the only one back then. People don't realize. It was the only, like, military bolt-action yeah. big-caliber gun. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, well, it was the Remington 700 platform or this. And this yeah, but you can't really do three thirty eight in the Remington no.
1: 700. So that was what was out there. And I remember dad bought one in three oh eight from a distributor called CFI. They had this special edition package. It was all green, came with a matching AWC silencer.
3: Oh Thunder Trap,
1: really heavy silencer. But it was just it was a green aluminum case, like OD green. You open it, the whole rifle's green, the can is green, the magazines were black. But it was like it was amazing. This thing was like back in the day, it was like eleven thousand dollars back then. Yeah. So we were looking at that and saying, okay, well, if that's what people think a sniper rifle is now, you know, we we talk about innovation and like paying attention to other people versus not. But at the time it's like, man, this is like, okay, this is what it needs to be, but we like some autos. So I started drawing this thing and the architecture I mean there's not anything like it. It looks kind of like an AI like the receiver kind of has that same hexagon shape and the the stock we actually molded just right off of AI stock. Dad took cellophane and like laid it over an AI stock and then laid fiberglass over it. Are you serious? And that became our negative mold and then yeah. we sprayed the inside of that with a release agent and laid fiberglass inside of that and we ha- we copied an AI stock for the rear portion of the stock to make a thumb hole that felt good. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. It's
1: but the rifle, so it looks like a bolt action, but there's this ring around the barrel, just like a band. And at the bottom, like at the at the say through five o'clock position, if you're looking from the back of the barrel, I yeah. put a gas port in the barrel, not straight down, not straight up. It's like at the five o'clock, and there's a lump on that band, and it goes into a gas tube. The gas tube comes along the forearm, like under the barrel, so you can't. It looks just like a free floated bolt action barrel. The gas tube is like hidden under the forearm and it comes back and it goes along the side of the receiver and then into the stock in the rear, into the stock. And then it makes a 90 degree turn. The gas tube makes a 90 degree turn and goes into the trigger module. The gas. Why? I made a trigger. (laughs) I made a trigger pack that has a hammer fired trigger. This is a cool rifle. I've never seen anything like it. You I'm starting to think there's a reason why. On the back of the trigger module, there's a tappet, like an M1 carbine, a contained piston. Yeah. So this gas tube comes off the barrel, along the side of the receiver, makes a 90-degree turn, goes into the trigger module, where there is a sealed gas system. Yeah, let's not get that hot. You know, it doesn't matter at this rate of fire. It's a 10-round magazine. Oh, okay. The bolt carrier in this rifle it extends back here, and then the bulk here has an L in it that hangs down behind the trigger module and creates an abutment for the tap it to hit on. So this thing looks like an AI, but it, boom, 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 it semi-auto cycles. autocycles Well, what happened? We made that, and we got the prototype built. We actually preemptively bought injection. We had um investment cast molds. It's a wild rifle. It has so many neat design exercise i want to show it to you someday like i did some stuff with the charging handle which no one had done before to make it a non-reciprocating charging handle that then can become a Ford assist also i think it's very clever well
0: why didn't you guys make
1: it so it's 98 uh we were designing this you know assault rifle or this semi-automatic rifle that was compliant to the assault weapons ban and then our lady who was like the head of sales mary scott smith came to us and said you know she's like showing us the shotgun news like hey look there's all these these single shot bolt action rifles coming out that are like two thousand bucks, and like people are buying them. Like they had people had bolt action fifty cal uppers that you could snap on an AR. Lower. Oh yeah, I remember that. And there was these other guys. She's like, we're like, like she's like, I'm afraid. of We're this. the fifty caliber. We're people. the fifty cal people. So wait, we shelf that thing for a second. It's like, okay, model ninety nine. So that was model ninety eight. That's a yeah. functioning rifle. Two of my guys that, that were one of them still works at the company. They were in assembly. They started taking that functioning rifle to a long range shooting competitions that were like kind of early PSR, like before yeah. PSR was a precision rifle series. PRS mm-hmm. was the thing. They were going to these competitions that were around our region and taking this semi-automatic prototype. People were like, "What? You know, like, like what is this thing? Yeah. And it's it's on Wikipedia. It's in a video game. You would think that there's. People think it's in production. We made there's one in the world. It's, it works and it's accurate. It's weird, man. It's a weird thing. It's a totally different way to look at it. So we had to back burner that for the model 99.
2: Yep. So what problems were you trying to solve with the 98, having the gas tube go under the barrel, alongside yeah. the well, receiver. We had 99 problems, but 98 <laughs> ain't one. <laughs> That's it right. Just trying to do something new or what were you,
1: you know, so the objective was a true precision sniper rifle. That was semi automatic, Right. And if we were just looking at the archetypes at the time, you know, the AI, you know, things that were, that is what precision rifles at that day looked like, you know,
0: it we were yeah, not Yeah, people can't understand it now, but it was like the only thing considered to be a production precision correct. game was the AI.
1: And we were not into the true era of the uber precise AR platform. Now, like if anybody, if any company, anybody wants to make like a precision semi-auto rifle, it's like an AR. Mm-hmm. True, in some it, scale. I like just got it, the gas tube down the top. And I and think
0: it. even with bolt guns, like there were custom bolt gun companies that could build bolt guns in, but most of them were hunting. It wasn't correct tactical, and there wasn't a surgeon or you know whoever else is considered to be great. You know there was no gun works. That's which, right. Like a system, it was just Accuracy International. Hmm. So the the problem we were solving was how
1: do we have a rifle that precise and semi automatic. So we we took what we thought were the tenets of what made that rifle precise, which we identified it as this rigid aluminum chassis that the AI had, and then it had this very rigid, stout steel receiver that was actually glued and screwed to the chassis. It's like an epoxy and screwed to that aluminum oh, chassis.
0: Wow. If you ever take one apart, it's like bedded mm-hmm. to the aluminum. Yeah, and well, so what people don't realize wait, let in me a free floated barrel. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, Accuracy International with their first chassis, which we can throw up now, which is a thumbhole stock thing. And later they did a thumbhole stock, but it's folding. But there's an aluminum chassis inside. And it's just clamshelled plastic stuff around it. And basically that concept was taken into like the Remington uh, Racks chassis, which wasn't the first, but really kind of spawned the chassis movement Mm -hmm. of just expanding that aluminum out into the stock. And not having the overmolded yeah. stuff. Yeah. Hmm. So that's where we,
1: we were trying to make a semi automatic sniper rifle, hmm. you know, very precision, long range precision rifle. And you were pushing the carrier
0: from the rear. Pushing the carrier from the rear. It's so strange, man. <laughs> and that Sass. was just a mean, have... It became a thing. CSAS, mm-hmm. you know, a decade mm-hmm. later, you've got the uh, semi automatic sniper system or yeah. whatever for the Army. Yeah. The M110
2: pushing it from the rear was that to have less movement up near the barrel is yeah. that we, we
1: were thinking free-floated barrel like, yeah. like what if the barrel didn't know it was connected to a semi-automatic yeah I like to personify my gun parts that's how crazy we are <laughs> my gun talks to me you nice. know. well
0: I mean it, I mean that's the difference uh, I, I think when you have a passion for it and an understanding separate from a formal education mm-hmm. on something like engineering like the thought process and how would you do this and what are you trying to solve yeah. and How's that accomplished? You know, so, I mean, I think is a lot of times what lends itself to, you know, successful but unconventional, you, you know, remedies for these sorts of things. We
1: definitely design by feel. I, yeah. I think about what a part feels like when it's in its home. Mm-hmm. Like when that barrel is screwed in the receiver, what is that? what does it feel like being yeah. a barrel? That's I try to identify it as a barrel. It's so fighting with its wife. it happy to be home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I mean, dude, it's kind of that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I it may be hard to explain, but it's it's that way. Like, I have to think about what that trigger. You were explaining to me the yesterday how you have a trigger that is perfectly ba- balanced about its axis, where it mm-hmm. has no, you know, and, and you can touch it with your finger and spin, and the trigger will stop in any place around. The, you yeah. know, like that's feeling that trigger. Like you explained that to me without giving me math or, you know. A scientific explanation like well we're, we're talking
0: about the way that trigger feels yeah i mean i'm not an engineer but ethan and i were at remington the last time they were sued for the 700 trigger and it, <laughs> so it brings up if you want a light crisp trigger but it's got to be safe yeah. what do we do well okay so glock does it by putting in a safety apparatus in the middle of the trigger for inertia if you drop it so the trigger's not biased by that mass and that lever so how do we accomplish that? Well, if we're starting with a gun from the beginning, like you did with the 98, where you can do all kinds of crazy shit, we'll, d- we'll just create space in the lower to where we can counterbalance the trigger. And that right. solves that. Yeah. You know, just a mechanical advantage to these problems. So these things are
1: intuitive. You know, sometimes it's, the best stuff doesn't always start in a formula. You know, it no. starts in
0: the feels. Yeah. So... You know, and, and something you want, you know. It's like, okay, we need this bolt action, but let's have it fire every time you pull the trigger. So, 98, 98
1: was addressing that. It's like, yeah. how do we make a semi-automatic that's compliant to these stupid regulations at the time but shoots like the world's best precision rifles? Mm-hmm. It got backburnered when we kind of saw these upcoming, you know, kind of really homemade-looking single-shot fifty calibers. Yeah. So, we again you know our, our company was not professionalized for a real long time like it took us like so it's it's foolish to spend that much in development to mothball something you should never do that like when this role went you finish it but mm. you
0: uh you know i don't even know you can't see because we just did the same thing when biden was elected because we were working on a gas gun yeah and then it's like well you know i've got more obligations than my desire or what i think is necessary it's like i got families to feed and we got a company to still grow and yeah. You know, we have other options. Um, You're right. I won't beat us um, up for that.
1: I won't beat us up for that. But but no. sometimes directions change. And
0: But it wouldn't, wait, I, w- I want to interrupt. But what you saw, and I remember, and I know these companies, and, and a lot of them were shut down by the ATF because, you know, even though the AR, the lower, is serialized, the ATF, when people started making 50 caliber uppers for them, felt like the upper should then be serialized too, which is, like, completely crazy, which is total atf but um you know you guys are 50 caliber company and there's this new approach and if those are two thousand dollars a piece for these uppers you know you guys can't look i mean the barrett was on a you know like the 82 is unattainable for a lot of people right so just the cost of the gun. So what do you do? And I think that's where you're picking up with the 99. So what happened? Yeah. So it's 1999 now, or it's late 98, whatever. So Prince is celebrating. Yeah, that's right.
1: Wow. <laughs> love the love the tie-in, but it's uh, you know, so the 98 got backburnered and fresh slate. What does a what does a Barrett single shot 50 look like? Well, I said, you know, hey, we are rolling on an iconic look already at this time. You know, it are Already by 99, it's like, hey, man, a Barrett is, is recognizable from 100 yards away. It's this hexagon shape. It's this basic shape of the receiver. Um, so I start drawing an aluminum extrusion that is shaped like the sheet metal fabrication that is the 82 series in the Model 95, the hexagon shape about on a two-inch diameter.
0: Which is pennies on the dollar to the metal sheet metal bent oh, fabrication. Yeah. 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 Extrusion. And they're so accurate and reliable. And with, I know with sheet metal fabrication, it, it's like everyone's handmade. It's,
1: it's a nightmare. Uh, the Germans are <laughs> really good at it a long time ago, but it's like, it's a, it's a nightmare for most folks. So, and I got to say the 99 for this reason is, um, it's a significant Barrett rifle design because it was, it was the, a change of our basic design architecture.
0: And I dare to say the most accurate, Barrett fifty cal you oh, guys oh, have ever made. It is. Like that's not even hard to say.
1: It is. And you know, then later we came to four sixteen and but this rifle, I drew it as an extrusion uh that that mimicked the aesthetics of the other fifty cal established. So, you know, I think there's a good marketing reason to do that. You know, we're drawing off the equity of this seven thousand dollar rifle, whatever it was at the time. So now well, you can own you can own a Barrett. It looks undoubtedly like a Barrett,
0: yeah. But it was like, you know, thirty seven hundred dollars. Well, for me is it is well, I'm going to arrog- arrogantly say one of your peers, brilliant move. Thank you. Thank the you. extrusion, making something that's affordable, less labor, better overall, like predictable quality, tolerances, everything. And it, it
1: became, you know, and this is a little in, insightful. W- was
0: it that much, 3700 at the time? I th- it was something,
1: it was sub $4,000, which was still. Oh, really? Because I, still- I thought it was like
0: far less than that maybe, um,
1: maybe it was it was still significantly more than some of these
0: snap-on i thought it was like 2000 or 2500
1: i thought it maybe was it was we, we intentionally wanted it to be more than the other guys but better quality so you know we didn't want to be right in there with them you yeah. know it needed to be premium and um you know part of this is a function of what was available technology at the time Yeah, which
0: I talk about all the time, which I was talking to you last night while, like, as a company, we're doing a new bolt carrier design and everything. And we're talking about Stoner didn't get it wrong. Stoner just had the alloys and processes that he had in the 1950s. Yeah. You know, and now here we are 70 years later. How can we take advantage of modern materials, alloys, processes, and manufacturing to make a component that's better without grinding honing hard chroming all stuff it is so weird stoner's design here from the 50s is
1: actually very well suited to our modern manufacturing techniques like it only got better he was ahead of his time after this he made a stamp rifle Mm -hmm. yeah the ar-18
0: the ar-18 and the 63 system so yeah in the 18 like we we think about i've got one here and it's like the receivers are stamped, but the hammer is stamped, the selector is stamped, yeah. the disconnector is stamped, and he every that, part is stamped.
1: He did that for manufacturability in places of the world where some of these techniques weren't even available in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, because he, did, did, understand he stamping. did
0: forging and he understood that from aircraft stuff. But yeah, Stoner, I think he and Browning, like Elon Musk, alien. Yeah, yeah.
1: So in in 99, you know, now fast forward from 82 to 99, like people, CNC machines are becoming more approachable to people. Yeah. Like now people in their garage businesses actually have some form of a CNC at some level. Yeah. You can get a
2: Haas machine for under 10 grand. Well, the education is a lot more available too. A lot more schools are now doing the, you know, automated machining instead of the old school. I think model 99, it did not take me long. I I might have
1: done the model 99. on pro engineer. But I might have already ditched Pro Engineer for SolidWorks. Hmm. Game changer. Yeah, the yeah. 3D parametric modeling kernel like that mm. that we all use. Like it's so we started 3D modeling and we were in Pro E as as well. But SolidWorks was an absolute game changer. So, so for
0: those people who don't understand, like um, uh, all the 3D drafting from uh, what's it called, Pro E or, or uh, AutoCAD. So, yeah, AutoCAD. Yeah, AutoCAD. It's all 2D.
1: You're drawing lines on a computer in two-dimensional.
0: Yeah. And so with um, SolidWorks, like what we use, it's all 3D. So you can rotate it. You can tolerance the whole part. You can see how it interfaces with other components that you've already drawn in 3D. So it's...
2: 10x what you can do in auto. You yeah, have okay. to mention the simulations and the material selections in it. You can actually get the, a good guess on the weight. Yeah, yeah. it's really
1: important. Uh, so many, And the tool has got so much flex now that, that even professional users may not know about. You have to like really keep up with every revision. So I think Model 99 might have been the first pro engineer, pro, I mean, a uh, Solidworks, SOLIDWORKS, Barrett product. It was sometime in that transition zone. But So we started drawing on this thing, and the Model 99 ushered in the aluminum extruded monolithic receiver. This is really weird. So, you know, the Model 99 is a bolt-action bullpup configuration of a single shot. No magazine. The thing that is serialized is the thing that we push the barrel into. We press the barrel in from the rear, and then has this retaining nut in the front like the ninety. which later became the 98B. So, separate, different than the AR-15. The serial number is on that part that the barrel is, touched, is, is touching. So, the upper. So, imagine on your AR-15, if the lower... Like, it's so weird the way the ATF calls things. You know, if, if I had to tell you what the receiver, if you asked me what the receiver was on an AR-15, I would say it's the barrel extension. The barrel
0: extension is the receiver.
1: If we're going off traditional Mauser bolt actions, because oh, on a, yeah. on a, the, the thing that locks... Because it can, would be the receiver. The, it's, it's what receives the load.
0: Remington 700 or Mauser or gun or whatever, the barrel extension is the receiver. The barrel
1: extension is should be it's the part. what the bolt part. locks into. Yeah. yeah, it's what the bolt locks into. The lower receiver is just like
0: the thing that you hold.
1: Yeah, like it, it's, it's Well, so. I mean, it's
0: just like, well, like you said, on the 99 or an AR or the, the Barrett 82, it, it's like the receiver, make it out of whatever the hell you want, which brings me to another point. But because you're locking the bolt into the barrel extension, which is where all the pressure is. So right. like an AR being aluminum, make it out of balsa wood. It's right. not taking any load. It, it, it's the the barrel extension. Um, so, so you learn from this, and it's a single shot. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, the the, one, the 107 was the 82. It's adopted by the military, becomes the 107. And you guys do improvements along the way, but it's all stamped sheet metal. But from lessons learned from the 99, I assume, the 107, so the Barrett semi-auto, now has an aluminum upper. Correct. Extreme. Yeah, we're like, hey, we should use this instead of
1: making this fabricated sheet metal so we, we started, you know, and, and in my tenure as like designer, like I did a lot. I redid a lot of the M107 and M107A1 parts, you know, just kind of going through and optimizing uh, along the way and like adding little blocks of enhancements. Like, so the butt plate casting, it's like, hey, it's time for a new mold. Like, I'm going to optimize that thing. We're getting yeah. all the mass. Yeah, out. if you got
0: to do, you have to do all the tooling all over again. Why not make it the best? So
1: many things have happened, you know, as, as you know, mature on a rifle along the way. But the, the 99 became the new design language. You know, it's like, this is how we're going to do it now. We're not going to do it the old way. So the Model 99 had that serialized upper, if you will, and then had this trigger group that had the grip and the trigger uh, components that slid onto the, the and connected with push bands onto that upper. So that is why, you know, what many years later, like 338 interest from that original 98 kind of fell off for a while, and then it came back. And then, you know, we started drawing 98B. And 98B, if you so ever, that's
0: why it's the 98B because it's a bolt gun. Yeah, it's like the, so that's one of my questions I had. I didn't we, know the answer. We to. were
1: going to revive the 98 program. It's like let's bring the 98 program back. There's going to be an A and a B, an automatic and a bolt gun, and they're going to like they're going to look Makes similar. Sense, a, B. We thought they'll look similar, but like they'll just be, you know, one's automatic, one's bolt action. Well, now it's like no, they're not going to look similar. I'm not going to make a bolt action that looks like that other one because it would just look like an AI. Like we don't make rifles that way anymore. The 99 is a new architecture like we have this aluminum chassis that is holding a barrel and um, and then the bolt actuates behind that so that's why I say the 99 is so important and you know if you look at a 99 next to
0: a 98B so 98B is your new became the Mark 22 so yeah, it's adopted by twenty two.
1: the 98B is a very important rifle
0: Three, so 338 is what it started as bolt strictly gone. 338 so you did so, a tube gun.
1: So light and like Yeah, the, the gun,
0: different. Uh, so at the time I was working on, uh, well, I guess later, but at the time the 98B became a, a contender for military programs, I, at Remington purchased my company, and we were working on the MSR rifle, which is a titanium receiver. It's a 700 but different because you lock into the barrel extension mm-hmm. like the Barrett or an AR, which is different than 700s but traditional chassis where you did something to me, that's even a step further. It's a tube gun. So you have aluminum extrusion, you got a lower, Mm -hmm. but the bolt rides in a tube. Mm -hmm. Cool gun. So lighter weight, more compact. I'm,
1: I'm, I am going to brag on us for a second and you can, you can contest me about this historically if we need to, but I I remember when I got the 98 B designed up and we made the first ones and I'm holding this thing at the time even and I can't remember what year this exactly was but at the time precision rifles precision long range rifles long range rifles that were available to anyone were still a an action like a, a round action similar to a Mauser with a bolt that turns in it and a barrel screwed into it and then they were then bedded into heavier stocks yeah but they they still basically looked like yeah, sporting a, rifles Mousin with thick barrels and maybe a stock that had a little more grip on like a McMillan A5. That's what all precision rifles look like at the yeah. time that 98B came out. All of them. Agreed. And I remember holding this thing and showing this to dad. And I said to dad, I was like, dad, this is what all precision rifles are going to be like from here on. Mm-hmm. Cause like once I had one in my hand, I was like, this is so damn good for the reasons we've talked about. Like AI is a, a very accurate rifle, but the thing is like carrying a brick. It's like carrying a bench rest rifle into combat. Yep. The Q rifle and the 98B rifle is cap- different. They capitalize on the ergonomics that were really, that we, we kind of optimized here.
0: Love. You know, but you think about, okay, who's in charge of these things? You know, Kevin Brittingham, Chris Barrett, and what did we grow up on? ARs. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I'm probably the oldest guy where that's what I grew up on. Yeah, but I was the only guy at the range. Would there be fifty people that had an AR-15? And yeah, so I agree. Um, I, you know, with enough time, a lot of people come to the same conclusions. It's not
1: that it's not that any one of us is particularly brilliant. Like, no, some somebody on the other side of the world can come to some of the same conclusions about anything you want to talk about. This rifle got a lot of the things in the right place. Like yeah. the safety where it is is better than a safety up on the tang. I mean, you know, the the, the pistol grip arrangement is better for shooting from weird fill positions. You're going to be more accurate, more consistent with your f- trigger finger placement with this than you are with a traditional stock. Yeah. This thing got a lot of the stuff right.
0: Yeah. I we, mean, Stoner was probably 50 years ahead of his time.
1: We were, if not the first, super early adapting and saying hey those things aren't broke why does a why does a traditional rifle look like my deer rifle with a heavy
0: barrel and a thick stock that's right let's make it look like this you know when we were doing the fix some of the consideration from a couple of the guys was we didn't want to look too forward and we thought people would be turned off they couldn't have a traditional stock on it yeah but i didn't care you know to me it's like i stopped using my you know I, i i traditionally have shot a lot and I stopped using my 700 safety, number one, because I always run my triggers so, like, they're not safe anyway. <laughs> but I can't ever remember, like, what was safe and what was fire on the 700 because I shoot those guns a fair amount, but I shot the ARs, like, every day. Yeah. So muscle memory. And I'm like, I don't know. So I just put the bolt in the first position and the gun's safe. I don't ever even engage the safety. And when I want to shoot, I close it and I shoot. Um, but when we did the fix in March of, 2016, when I started Q, we're all in the room and I'm writing on the whiteboard what our first project is. And we're, it's one hour, we're all agreeing on it. Like in the top three, I don't know what all the things were, but the fix had to have AR ergonomics. Yes. That was a thing. It is absolutely a thing. And I, yeah. so that's why I say,
1: you know, the 98B was very important to our company and the 99 was very important to our company. And I don't think the 99 doesn't get that respect because. It's a. I don't think we see it in the same class, but I
0: gotta say, it's what set the tone. I mean, if you say it's a single shot, like who gives a shit? To some degree, right? But then, okay, it caused the 98B, and now to to be the way it now is. Now it's Socom sniper rifle, like, and then even maybe even more importantly, the 107 to be able to improve that gun by doing an extrusion on the top and changing that receiver. You know, because I'm sure you like you get better consistency, yes. better tolerances. You probably reduce weight, like all these things that are important for that weapon system. It it
1: really expanded our kind of design library of like how we're going to do things. And there yeah. are so many things that Barrett has done that the public's never seen, and not that they're not that they were ever successful in any in any way, but not because they weren't great. They haven't been. Like we have a huge tinker shop. Our advanced research group is just like full of stuff that could be companies. Uh, you know, I mean, there's yeah. all these
0: gun, there's all these weird things on racks. You know, I mean, just like you and your guys and your dad. I mean, I think at our company, you know, we had 11 employees. We had like six engineers, and we have no shortage of. I think probably really great ideas, but you know, you got you got to get it to market. Yeah, and you know, we're we're better at that than we are manufacturing so a focus for us and that doesn't mean quality that just means volume so a focus for us over the next couple years is really growing you know organically and correctly the manufacturing to better support our idea shop yeah that's right yeah and 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 that's the thing like anybody can make an ar-15 who cares barrett us savage you know joe blow in his garage you can make a decent ar big deal but to innovate and do things like you got to have the manufacturing, so that's a focus. Someone's got to pay for it, yeah. And you, you know, know, it's it, so
1: I don't know. It's been such a fun journey, and the, but the ninety-eight B, you were asking
0: me about PSR program, mm-hmm. yeah. So okay, so those don't know the ninety-eight B was a rifle that you developed, and then the programs start popping up for three thirty-eight rifles, and the very first one. I know the Remington MSR rifle one, but a very expensive $20,000 gun, but mm-hmm. for a very elite group, but it kind of sets the tone. We're going to go to 338 bolt guns that have ch- uh, caliber interchangeability. So you can convert them from 338 to 300 Win Mag to 308 or whatever the calibers are. And what I love about working with those groups, it all trickles down. So it goes from these groups to SOCOM. Big army, you know, and big army being everyone that's not special operations, essentially. So, SOCOM. So, you win a contract. So, so they did the PSR. I think that was canceled or something happened. They start the ASR, and I don't I, really I, I, know. But I think
1: it's worth talking about the PSR for a second without getting, you know, without.
0: So, so it was the first SOCOM sniper rifle precision, precision
1: sniper rifle. Yeah, and uh, you know Barrett it because it caused the MRAD to become a product so at the time we were the 250 the 350 cals 82 95 99 and then this 98b yep which was a 338 only at the time but it was already like pretty modular like it already had the the the, the it's, it's very different five the second Celido. change out trigger group you know like the, the bolt head like we'd already designed the bolt head to be able to change off the, the barrel but didn't have other calibers yet off the bolt body um So we looked at these requirements. This is the one time that a requirement document drove a Barrett product that became a successful thing. Every other time, like, we've been the opinion leader. But we looked at PSR, and, um, you know, the team was looking at it there. It's like, okay, it has to have this barrel that changes. Or it had to be caliber convertible. It had to have this. It had to have this folding stock. There were requirements. It was a requirements document. I think it was one of the better requirements documents. Yeah, because I remember your first
0: one didn't have a folding stock. And I remember when you showed it to me, I was like, You're going to have to have a folding stock, but the way the gun was designed, you can't really fold a ton of it. But, yeah, I remember that. Mine does not have a folding stock.
1: From that document, you know, that's where the MRAD was born.
0: So you do this incredible rifle. I love lots of elements. And then along comes the military wanting some stuff. Yeah. So what all goes on? I want to hear it, because I want to know, because you guys were not the favorite originally. And, oh, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Here we are, ASR. Mm-hmm. Barrett's got a contract, Mark 22, and you're taking me on vacation. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do need to go on vacation. I know we should. So so what the, happened? The
1: precision sniper rifle con- contract came along, the program, yep. and it had, a, it had a very strenuous and, I thought, well-written requirements document.
0: And that's, that's uh, from SOCOM. Yes. That, was that out of Crane, probably?
1: Uh, it was coming from McDill Air Force Base. I think that was where it was being run. Okay. But, like, you know, all the testing happens at Crane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a very well written document. And Barrett took the 98B, our team, and we made it into the MRAD by hitting all the requirements that it needed. Okay.
0: Well, let's stop there because uh, I have a 98B. Mm hmm. Awesome. Why is it not out here? We should have that. Oh, it, it, I know. I feel like a douche. It's at the shop. Okay. And then, and then my M82 is in Georgia at my place. So we don't have your stuff out. And I apologize. But we do own some things. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the difference between the 98B and what became the MRAD? What the fuck does MRAD stand for? We know what yeah. 98B stands for. And what are the differences?
1: Yeah. So MRAD is, uh, I don't know what you call that one. Dorky it's, acronym, yeah, yeah. But but it is. But I think it's kind of clever because Mrad, you know, is the standard unit of measure that everybody that shoots long range now uses. MOA, a, a, a milliradian. A mil, yeah. But you know, we're like, hey, it's multi-role adaptive design. You know, like like us, military, you know, military guys, we love acrony- acronyms. I'm not in the military, but you know, we interface with these guys. Everybody loves an acronym.
0: Yeah, I hate them. That's why I give everything names like Hunter yeah. Badger. I can't remember. Well,
1: Mrad is it's worked out pretty well for us. Like, well, kinda, rad's cool. Yeah, rad is cool, mm-hmm. and it's Mrad. Like, so it, so it's a multi-role adaptive design. We actually think it like actually is that too. It's one of the rare cases where I don't think we had to stretch it too far to to be an accurate descriptor of the rifle because it does no that.
0: multi-role. I, I mean, I get it because I, I assume. From the ninety eight B you went to the MRAD. now you have conversions from three hundred thirty eight, three hundred wind mag, mate I don't know what else, but seven six two NATO. It's, so it's, really. it's
1: in probably ten different calibers now. I mean it's just No shit.
0: Yeah, I mean we we have got you know there's
1: two sixty Remington barrels out there. There's 65 six Creedmoor, five. .308, .300 Win mag, three hundred Norma mag, three thirty eight Oh mag. you
0: can do Norma Mag. The ASR is a Norma Mag. Because it's it's a Lapua mag. What am I thinking? There's three hundred PRC? Yeah.
1: There's uh, those are
0: all great car. I mean, those four cartridges. Oh my yeah. god. I love three hundred Norma. My favorite. Well actually. that's
1: apparently so did so SOCOM because that's what, the is that what they're doing. Is that what they're doing now? Yeah. Oh,
0: it's my favorite.
1: So that PSR contract drove the rifle to need a folding stock and the rapid caliber change. And I we, told you about that folding stock. You told me, man. You told me. You're harbinger. But we, we we hit all the boxes. Like we checked all the boxes on, you know, the coating, the like all the performance requirements and we really poured ourselves into that program. And that was like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. PSR. Yeah.
0: And I remember talking to you through that. Well, what happened with PSR? So PSR was a program yeah. and it like went away or died. And then ASR, they just rename it and it comes back. What happened? It didn't exactly go away. And you know, without. <coughs> <coughs> yep.
1: So what happened?
0: <laughs> it didn't really go away. It's
1: uh you know, Barrett, we submitted rifles. It was one of the most heartbreaking things for our company ever because the team worked so hard we had, I mean, I, I personally was in the room loading 12 or 1,300 rounds of ammunition. Like, we loaded the ammunition for the program. We had to submit ammo with it. And we couldn't get the spec ammo we wanted with the variances we wanted. The, the
0: yeah, the SDs, the standard deviation I of had, muzzle velocity.
1: I have, like, electric line balancers in the R&D shop. All right. Well,
0: so, I'm not like feeling bad ammo. for you. So, let's – so.
1: Well, the rifles all got to Crane on time, and uh, it was reported back to us that our technical submission, like the paperwork, did not arrive through their servers on time. It got there 30 minutes late. So our rifles did not get evaluated.
3: Oof.
1: People, so I, I mean, I remember that day walking into the conference I mean, room. People cried. We did everything we can. We, we protested. People
0: cried. Oh, I remember this. I remember you telling it, it me It was about given this. to Remington. Yep, I and remember the that. rifles never were filled well, or delivered. Yeah my own similar story to always circle this back to me being selfish is an advanced armament. So during the, the SOCOM silencer evaluation and adoption, we won. they awarded four different categories. We won one, three, we didn't win the five, five, six which surefire won, And they promoted as the surefire SOCOM can, and it's fucking horrible, honestly, but they won. But you know, the reason we didn't win, we won in every category except the Mark 18. And it was the mod O or mod one, whatever. They had a longer handguard. We didn't have that one. And when you put our flash hider on, our silencer would not go on because the, it hit the handguard. So the yeah. twelve hundred guns or whatever in the inventory, we were um, disqualified and surefire won by default. And we would have won we'd have been a clean sweep, like, you know, LeBron James or Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, whatever. Clean sweep. Three peat. We'd have won it all. Hmm. And we didn't. We fucked up. So it's um it's technicality it's not
1: always all about the product i think i think there are people that can make a good enough product but you know dealing with customers like this professional end users it does have a lot to do with i mean i mean man a lot of the heroes at our company manage the programs you know it's like doing what you say you're going to do showing up you know it's our checking all the boxes it's our job to design awesome products but it's like that's not enough
0: no, that, that's not half of it when it comes to this stuff. And when people start talking about, like, whatever, the $800 toilet seat or $600 hammer, mm-hmm. that's some of this stuff, in my opinion, because it's like, we can design the product, but when you deal with government, you know, big government, uh, uh, definitely, it, yeah. it's it's the, the other part, the interface with them is, it is half of the, the fucking program, which is ridiculous, but it is what it is. So anyway, you guys... They don't evaluate your product because you're 30 minutes late getting the paperwork in. So yeah. Remington wins. Yeah. Which that's who won the yeah the classified program. So they win that. It trickles down to SOCOM. And why didn't that project move ahead?
1: I'm not going to speculate, and I don't want to. Oh, you that, don't know? Okay. But it's I don't think the rifles could be delivered and, and meet the performance requirement. Well, my experience with Remington, I'm not going to disagree with you. So, you know, without – because I don't know who all was around that program and who's still hanging around. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but we got robbed, you know. And and I think think the end users got robbed because for this last almost decade, they could have been working. That MRAD, that MRAD that we submitted for PSR is not vastly different from what just won the most rigorous – Long-range precision rifle. It's not that different. Isn't that a good feeling? You win eight, eight years. Yeah. You know, so now fast-forwarding, uh, you know, well, the, the program comes back as ASR, Advanced oh, oh, Okay.
0: Rifle. So, so, I want to slow down. So, they award that PSR. What happens? Uh,
1: Remington won it, and Barrett went on about our business now with a new rifle called MRAD. Yeah. That went to take—we actually took over the world in the last eight years. Well, what happened? PSR
0: just died. What happened? Uh, I, I don't really know, you know, but those things do happen. Okay. So Funding uh, goes away. Oh, you that, know. That's true. Where's the money coming from? It's always mm-hmm. a thing to watch.
2: Or like you are saying earlier, change of hands because somebody's not in that position anymore. Right. And priorities yeah. change, too. It's yeah, like, hey, you know, will. we need this now. Mm-hmm. You know, during, since then, you know,
1: combat, the handgun, module yeah. handgun happened. Uh, other things, you know, other little programs well, are coming on.
0: Well, well I didn't realize that was quite the time difference. So PSR to ASR, which you win. What's the time difference? It, I think it's seven or eight years. Are you serious? Yeah, dude. I thought it was like two years. You're you're getting old. Well, I, you know, We're one, getting so old. Once I was, <laughs>
1: I'll throw me in there too. But you're so much older than me. I it's am. terrible. But so, what, oh, the
0: microphones. Once I left Remington, though, I just didn't pay attention that much anymore. Right. Um, so seven, yeah, I mean, at my age, you're right. Seven years. You know, the long. silver lining for us though, we got done with that. We, we were, we felt beat. <laughs>
1: we felt like we hit the mat, but it's like, Hey, you know, on the bright side, we have this awesome product now that we did in record speed and it's been through all this testing because we you you can damn sure be you know you can be sure that we did not send anything that we didn't already test like it went through all yeah of the environmentals and everything we have an awesome product so we went on now you know norway uh australia so I mean, you're
0: winning these in the meantime
1: Everywhere, oh. like everywhere. Like we're displacing. Yeah. The, the and whole that is a
0: good feeling. Like when, <clears throat> when you get sucker punch and then you can, you know, turn around and start whipping some ass. Good feeling. So, so, we, so we, we ASR happens. Well, wh- how long was ASR? You know,
1: it took, it took oh, 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 years also. It took years. And so people, uh, you know, friends of mine that are kind of on the outside of the industry, when this started hitting the news, Like when it started getting out there on. When it started getting out there, you know, and people started forwarding me articles from wherever I get it. And it made mainstream news because, you know, it was of interest, you know, that the Army, that SOCOM adopts this new thing, gives it a mark number. So people start, you know, forwarding me that. Man, congratulations. Are you going out tonight to celebrate? Or like it just happened.
0: Like I just. Oh, so it's like you, you find out through your friends.
1: No, I think I already knew about it. But I think from them on the outside looking in, they. To, to a lot of folks, they perceive it as you just won a lottery ticket. Like, so this just happened. I'm like, no, it didn't. Like, this was eight years. And and they're like, well, are you yeah, shocked? Are you surprised? Are you out going? Are you going to party tonight? Are you going to pop bottles open? It's like, no, man. This is just like. Are are you ecstatic about it? I'm happy. I'm deeply happy. Yeah. But it's like we've been working for it for eight years.
0: Yeah. Getting the the little gold star after the fact.
1: Like nobody high fives you when you pay your mortgage off after 20 years. (laughs) No, that's what I've been trying to do for 20 years. It's true. It wasn't a shocker, you know, so. Man, well, I I will say. We are deeply happy about it. It's a huge Congratulations.
0: So for those people who don't understand, like if it's a M107, the M normally means that the Army adopts it. Yes. If it's the Navy, which is generally SOCOM, Socom Marine Corps, is it the Navy. It's a Mark, so MK, so the Mark 11, the Knights Rifle, their right. semi-automatic sniper rifle, uh, is a Navy gun, SOCOM gun. The M110, the Army version, M110. Yeah. So yours is the Mark 22, man. Congratulations. I mean, from I, my I, standpoint, yeah. like I don't, I don't know, you know, to to flex a little. I don't know that you or I either one work for money anymore, right? I feel,
1: I feel like we've had two hit records. And it's like...
0: M107, Mark 22. Mm-hmm.
1: Like...
3: Ee- 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 yeah.
1: <laughs> if you started a company and in 30 years, you you designed a rifle that got adopted and given a type classification by the U.S. military, you have done a
0: thing. Yeah. I mean, and you can't... You know, and that separates you guys from golden earring. One hit wonder. You got two. <laughs> That's right. The radar yeah. Love,
1: Man, you know, and it's like... You know, so my dad was like one of the only living like individual firearm designers to to have a gun adopted, and now like, my rifle became that. And he is so
0: proud, and we're so proud. He's just, I mean, he should be because like you're right, Knights Armament they've got several as well, but it's a stoner design, right? It's an AR, and I'm not I'm not trying to knock any shine off of what they did because I know how much work goes into no, like, you, all those you things. You guys are. Like it or not, cousins, it's like Sil Team 6, Delta Force. <laughs> I mean, it's it's cousins. I mean, it's the same shit. Like, Reed took his route. You know, Stoner came to work there. They did shit. You guys took your own approach. And it's to be honored. You know, I would... It's like Starbucks. I would have never invested in Starbucks. Mm. What a stupid idea. Yeah. So wrong. Right. The M82 would not have invested. Mm-hmm. I'm dumb. MRAD, you know that's the thing. It's a totally separate thing. It's like the fix and the honey badger, and you guys are successful in both. And there's something to be honored with that. You know, for me, you know, Knights has done all kinds of cool shit, but theirs are both stoner guns. They are. They're not their designs.
1: Um, well, I am. I am deeply honored, and it's like I, I think it's hard. As to, you should be. I think it's hard to take in. Um, uh, you know, but I, I really do feel like we've knocked two out of the park there, and I don't. And we're not done. Like it's uh, the the reputation now that comes with having Mark 22. You know, the rest of the world still largely looks to the United States on not you know not just weapons, but kind of like everything. And, and so now, like everybody else, like, well, what's what U.S. SOCOM is shooting that with well, that? We need to look at that.
0: So it automatically yeah. becomes the default. I mean, those of us in the know that work with those groups, we know, like if we go to those meetings like all the NATO countries that actually kill terrorists Mm -hmm. that actively get offensive when there's Al Qaeda or ISIS or anything involved, the countries that go and kill those people that take action. When we go to those meetings, you and I know they're there. Yeah. Whether it's Sweden, it's Australia, you know, you name the country, Canada, they're all in there. And, but the U S is always the leader. That's, that's right. Always the leader. And we spend a lot on these programs. Yeah, so why wouldn't they copy us? It, right? Like, I would do it too. Like, if I had our classified units to look to who are spending, they have no financial limits on small arms. Realistically, they don't. Because when we say that, it's really true because, like, small arms and the scope of these organizations are no money. Like mobility, you want to build a new jet, a new fighter, a new, you know, armored personnel carrier, like mobility, ship, boats, like these things are expensive. Guns are like nothing like uh, uh, your MRAD for SOCOM with all the stuff might be 20 grand. That's a ton of money for me or you or anybody, but the government 20 grand. What's that like a spare tire for an APV? It's nothing. It's like a line item way down. On yeah, the it's not even stuff. considered. So, yeah, so we are, and we do the development, and we do the work. And if I were Canada or Australia or New Zealand or, you know, Denmark or Norway, I'm I, tell you, I, I do the same stuff.
1: You just ended on my my people. It's um, ironically, like, the people that really drove MRAD pre-Mark 22, Norway.
0: Norway's awesome.
1: Yeah. So, it's weird. Like, Sweden was on the 82, but Norway's on the... Sweden so, is great. So... You know, all of our customers uh, are hard on us, and every one of them helped us build the rifle.
0: It's so awesome. Israel, you know, Norway. It's, but, you uh, know, they went you, through all you need to trials. take the credit. It's cool for them. That's their job. And, But, you know, the difference is having leadership at the company driving the product that knows the stuff to listen to and the stuff to ignore. Hmm. To me, because I, I've heard it all. Yeah, and some of this stuff, you're like, oh my god, that's brilliant. I would not have thought of that. Most of the stuff, you're like, mm, yeah, yeah, that's not going to make sense for us. So you got to have somebody to make that decision. I,
1: and I, I don't say that in the sense that they like designed the rifles, but they broke them. They helped us break them. Yeah, you're like, this doesn't work. <laughs> like, okay, let's let's address it. You know, you, you know, we what? still have to be the opinion leader. You have to have the guts. You got to have the balls to say this is. Uh, Show me your requirement, what you're trying to do. Let me hand you the tool. Yeah. Don't define the tool for us. Let, let us get the tool for you. Because,
0: you know, I mean, those organizations are, are made up of very alpha males, which, I mean, that's an overused term. If you put the three
1: of us in a room and say, we're going to pick a rifle, we're going to take hunting in Africa, we would fight about it for three days. Mm-hmm. Imagine, like, a 1000 stakeholding professional end users trying to decide on one rifle. Or even Ten. 10. The, the
0: ten best in the world, they don't agree. But they're, they're, and they will fight to the death. They're representing
1: it. their guys. Yeah.
0: So each one. Of the, and when you talk about big army, Oh, uh, big army. The the problem with big army. I mean, it's way more vast. But you also have guys that don't have the experience. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool. Like the army's awesome. They've done lots of great stuff for us. But when we start talking about the special operations yeah. groups of the army, and we talk about the people that we trust to go in and actually kill terrorists and really risk their lives every day, multiple times a day, Mm -hmm. taking action, taking offensive actions in combat. Like, you got to listen to them, but some of them are still squirrely as shit. Like, just their bias. You know, like, they really love this little particular thing, and we can do that, but you can't make it the focus of the gun. Um, Yeah, so I think, you know, with like your position or mine, the idea is to understand this and we make the decision what's important, Mm -hmm. you know, for for the company or for these guys, it might work for this guy, but if we're thinking about SOCOM, so now, you know, we're a thousand times bigger with SOCOM. Then you go to the big army, you're a thousand times bigger than that. You know, how do you make decision as a company that still has commercial viability? You still got to feed people, you got to make money, you got to build a product that, isn't specific to this one organization because, you know, you're not charging a million dollars a gun, you know, it's a reasonable price. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. I've enjoyed it. I've liked it. I've learned. And uh, I I think the idea of who to listen to and what's important are, are for me, have been the real valuable lessons in dealing with those organizations. But anyway, I applaud you for the Mark 22. I'm so excited for you. What all is the difference between the 98B and the Mark 22?
1: The Mark 22, you know, it met the specific requirements of that program, which were the calibers were defined. You know, So
0: multi-caliber.
1: Yeah, and the three calibers are 7.60 by 51, and then 300 Norma mag, which appears to be the primarily, that's going to be the primary primary. S- you ever killed anything with it? I haven't, no. Oh,
0: so good. I it's bet. a freaking laser beam, too. Oh my God! To a thousand yards, it's just <sighs> yeah. I've I've shot it at long
1: range out in South Dakota, and it's it's amazing. And then three thirty eight Norma mag for the payload for the AP oh so Lapua mags totally out. There's no Lapua. There's no Lapua. Now a big confusing thing that happened is the Navy also bought some rifles and MRADS before March twenty two was even officially filled it, and they're in three hundred PRC. Oh, They are so I n- like that cartridge a lot n- too. News of that got out there, and people are like, Is that Mark 22? It's like, No, no, it's
0: not. It, it
1: caused a lot of confusion. I mean, That's um, not-
0: we both know that organization, those guys are cowboys. Yeah, they're great. I think they're gonna end up slinging these Norma Max too, though. Oh, they will? Yeah, yeah.
1: And the, the yeah. PRC is great for its own reasons, but but it's, um, I don't know, it's
0: kind of easier, I, I guess, to all be shooting the same stuff. I so, think so, but yeah, I, I love 300 PRC. I like 65 PRC and I like Hornady loading ammo. So I think they do all the 300 Gosh, man, PRC. Hornady, What what a great company. What I a great them.
1: company. And like what they they what they have done for a commitment to long range precision cartridges and shooting and the ability to be able to like forget about your reloading equipment and just like send me a case of 65 Creedmoor. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, I'm yeah, done yeah, with this you, know, a, you know it's you know that's
0: when I stopped reloading ammo. Me too. Is when six five came out and I used to I used to load seven oh eight
1: like I, I was like all into that and I mean that's a redneck cartridge, yeah, yeah boy. But it's
0: like, <laughs> well, you <laughs> know, for me, I was loading two sixty, yeah, and uh, that's what I was into. But then when Horny started doing six five, because I mean realistically, there are people who can shoot far better than me. Um, but a five shot group, if I'm half inch. Like, that's pretty much where, where yeah. I rest.
1: But I think that car, if we're being real, 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 the uh, buying a case of Hornady with the 140 BTHP or whatever bullet they're putting in the AMAX yeah. bullet, I mean, it's kind of it's five shot, one MOA ammo in a lot of rifles. And that's good. I mean, people talk well, about quarter, half MOA, oh, but that's it's like, crazy. come on, dude. Any
0: production gun in 308, let's say, if you got a gun, any configuration that is under one MOA, mm-hmm. don't fuck with it. Right. It's legit. And people talking all that shit about quarter MOA, you got to load your own ammo, do all these things. I I ain't got time for that. But 6'5", the 140 ELDs. ELD, yeah, yeah. Half inch all day long. And I know from my own experience of lo- hand-loading 260, that's pretty much with my patience level where I max out. Yeah. So if I got something where I can shoot five-shot, not three-shot because that's bullshit, five-shot groups of half MOA, I'm golden, like I'm not loading ammo, and it's honestly where I stopped loading ammo. And Hornady, God bless them, they generally sponsor me my hunting and they provide me with ammo, and it shoots all of it half MOA. Yeah. So I'm like, I would never load ammo again, no. and it's effective. Like it's inside 300, just about as effective as 308, and beyond that, it's better and low recoil. Why would I shoot anything else? Agreed. All right, all right. So, so when did this uh, Mark Twenty Two happen? When were you awarded? Uh, I mean, it was it was in the year twenty twenty. Oh, it was. So it just happened. It was yes. I yeah. thought it was like two
1: thousand eighteen. No, I'm, no, no, no. I'm well, a little I, bit out of the loop. Uh, you know, it depends on what you call official, official. But I didn't want to say anything till we were fully pregnant. You know, like till it was done. You know, till we've del- hmm. we've delivered rifles now. People drop information too
0: soon. You know, I don't know. I, I'm very guilty of that. So guilty. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. You got to build the hype. I'm a hype machine. Those those I'm rifles. A, are... little, yeah. OK. <laughs>
1: what? <laughs> those rifles are in inventory now.
0: Well, I need I need one of those. I'm going to work a trade with you. <clears throat> All right. I want one to go. With my other ones, man. Well, as a friend, I'm incredibly proud of you. Thank you. As as a, a peer in the industry. And I'm going to promote myself to that. Um, you, you know, like, what a fucking honor, man. I, I'm so happy for you guys. And, you, you know, you, your dad, your family, the employees of Barrett. What a badass thing. Mm. So, I mean, that's awesome. Like, Barrett, a great American company. And you guys come up with your own design. And, uh, you know, you deliver. That's great. And, and, you know, it benefits everyone. Um, Thank you. Man, I, I'm happy for you. And I, I hope your grandkids live to you know, have airplanes as a result. So, um, man, that's cool. So cool. I don't know where you go from here. I guess, I guess that you got to do the third thing. We're going to, man, we are, uh, we're getting hyper-focused now. Yeah. I know you and I were
1: talking about this the other day and it's, uh, uh, we're getting hyper-focused on our professional end users and doing what we do. Like we're, we're, we're successful at doing what we're doing now. We're, We're getting really focused as a company on, on, um,
0: Long range, being the leader is kind of in long range precision. Isn't it funny? You know, like a young company, 40 years in, we're comfortable with who we are now. It's yeah. the fucking way it goes. I it, mean, it's it really the way is. in personal life too. Like I realized that, I don't know, 42 or 45, this is who I am. Like <laughs> I don't give a shit about judgment. I don't care about fitting in. I don't care about having a job with somebody else. Yeah. like I'm okay with who I am and I think Barrett as a company you're like in the you, you know we're, we're we're like cousins you know with my personal life it's like yeah. you guys are who you are you figured it out and you yeah. do no apologies and you do your own thing well man I'm looking forward to the follow-up you know, and somebody did somebody ask us about
1: a
2: field craft? Yeah, so somebody. Just so, said, yeah. Oh, okay,
0: yeah, okay. God damn it, you guys jumping ahead! I've got a right, list. Right. I hey. took notes. Yeah. I took the time. I didn't just go to Instagram. I devoted a day to this. <laughs> oh, I did it in half the time. So, <sighs> oh, you're um, one question fucking superstar <laughs> over there. All right, <laughs> so Mike? somebody asked you about field craft. So, yeah. okay, give me thirty seconds. All right, so it is. So as Chris Barrett becomes in charge of Barrett and I saw something, I don't know, five or 10 years ago as Barrett diversifies similar to a Beretta, we'll say mm-hmm. in its infancy, you started looking at Italian shotguns. Mm-hmm. You started looking at bolt actions, expanding the line beyond military mm-hmm. commercial market, different things. Yeah. And I love the story you pitched to me, but you also have a great voice and you're a great storyteller. Um, so partnering with an Italian shotgun company to do over and unders, which, what was the name of that?
1: It was Barrett Sovereign. It was the Sovereign line. Sovereign. Of Sovereign. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then, and then Fieldcraft, the bolt action rifles yeah, that you guys were doing based on a, a 700 footprint, I believe, but you know, it was the size of the cartridge. So there's yeah. three or four different sizes of the receivers. So super compact, lightweight guns for. You, you know, a discriminating hunter, yeah. we'll call it. And, and the company was called Fieldcraft. You're very good at all these things. Um, yeah, so what the fuck? Like Adam man, said. It's, um,
1: this isn't the first time this has happened to companies. Mm-hmm. Um, when Steve Jobs came back to Africa. Oh,
0: God, come on. <laughs> no, man, seriously.
1: I mean, it, it, it's, it gives a – I have to justify why we do what we do. Why things have been done, you know. When Steve Jobs came back to Apple, they had all these products and the company wasn't doing well and he pared it down to like two laptops and two desktop computers, and then the company became what it is now.
2: Chocolate and vanilla.
1: You know, it's just like we gotta get back to what we're doing, and that's that's um
0: It's called roots, Oprah.
1: Yeah, it's roots. Got back to them roots. so the shotgun thing was uh I mean it's embarrassing to me now, but it, why it was Why is it
0: embarrassing? It, I think it, it's cool. Like why it, would anyone be embarrassed? By, oh, okay, that, but, that's terrible. I shouldn't uh, say that. Yeah. It, well, wait, wait, wait. Number one, as your friend, fuck you. If you're embarrassed for swinging the bat yeah, yeah, and hitting a foul ball, yeah. that could have been a home run. like Who are you listening to? Have I mocked you? You know, what? A bunch of anonymous little fucking douches on the internet say something about it. Like, fuck those guys. Like, people who never swing the bat are your biggest critics. Mm, true, true. Don't give a shit. And field crap. Awesome. I just went on like the black market, the crack dealer market to buy a field craft. One of my best friends, it was his company. Can't even get me one. I have to go buy one from some dude. Somebody you asked know. me the question cause they want one.
1: So the yeah, f- the field craft I'm actually super proud of. And I am the shotguns too. They were great. It was, but you know, people even asked me at the time, like, isn't this out of your lane a little bit? And I was like, well, yeah, maybe, but I was, isn't everything out of your lane until you do it. Like that's shut true. up. I was yeah. in the mode of trying to diversify the company in a little bit, uh, you know, We do blow in political wins. You said that you have made decisions on what's in your product development pipeline based on political wins. 100%. 100%. You know, I saw this whole segment of the shooting market that's still out there. It's a different set of people. There are a lot of shotgunners. There are shotgunners that don't own other guns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and then guys like me and you don't use a shotgun very often like that, a sporting shotgun. So it's a whole different crowd with a different taste and everything and I wanted to explore that, and we did. And I think, you know, if I ever had to do that again, I would know a better way to make that work. Um, they're beautiful. They are beautiful guns. And, like, oh, you and, built some. Oh, the, the Italian guns? Yeah, they're out there. Oh, I want one of those. That's of a course, weird you can't thing can't to help have me to. with that either. Well, they're probably, you know, that's probably a thing that needs to be scoured for Gunbroker now. Like, it's, <sighs> they're, they're weird. Like, Barrett imagine owning a, a Barrett over under shotgun that's beautiful, made by Fausti in Italy.
0: Uh, yeah, you, you showed me some early on. They're nice. they're great guns. But now Fieldcraft, different thing. Um so that was you partnered with a shotgun company in Italy, right. built some over under shotguns. And I remember you showing me they're beautiful. And so then you did a bolt action. And I had a whole lifestyle brand with that too. Like there's soft goods, like doesn't awesome. you're so fancy. It I know it, it had me. to be. Mm, yeah. So nice. then Fieldcraft. Yeah. So like fancy, really well made. Seven hundred base guns that were different size. You know, even the diameter of the receiver was smaller, so it yeah. didn't use a. 700. Oh, they're they're light. Like that two forty three I got with the eighteen inch barrel, maybe a six pounds, maybe. Here is um here's the true inside story on that,
1: and I don't know if everybody realizes it, but that rifle has such that basic size of that rifle has such a story. This guy named Melvin Forbes, a custom gunsmith, yeah, started. in Maine. No, no, where no, was he? West Virginia. Oh, yeah, that that's part of the story, though. Okay. The um, he had this rifle. Then he and he cut called his company Ultralight Arms, and that rifle design it was it was he really optimized the thing and scaled it down and it had this carbon fiber stock, full length bedded, and it made he made these super super light purest hunting rifles. At some point on the way, Colt picked up that design from him and made the. Colt, I remember the Colt the Colt White Rifle. God about the CLRs. that. Those were Melvin Forbes derived rifles, and, but they put them in a cheaper polymer stock, which is kind of necessary to make a viable. Well,
0: Colt. Pro- yeah.
1: I mean, it, the stock on this thing, hand laid carbon fiber, was so expensive. So Colt did that, and then at some point discontinued it. God, I remember those like 25 years ago, 20 years ago. And I don't know if I – yeah, and they were in CDN for like three ninety nine for a while. You oh, know, and should have bought them. Oh, I know. And it's like you could send those back to Melvin Forbes, and he would bet it to the true carbon fiber stock and all this, and they were decent rifles. Uh, they were made in Maine by another company for Colt crazy crazy oh that's how it happened. and then i think and then i think melvin changed his company to new ultralight arms and continued making these one-offs and they're like four grand a piece and then this other custom gun this this company in maine started making the rifle they bought the rights and they called it the forbes company and started making that rifle that's when you and i started talking about it we bought that company yep we, so it's the first acquisition that Barrett ever made well
0: how'd you find out about it first of all
1: uh you know i was already does a fan that matter? Of, I, don't I
0: was know. already a fan
1: of the rifles like i had i had Melvin forge build me one that I spent like you know three or four grand or whatever waited forever and i got it and i wasn't thrilled with it honestly i've hmm. never been super happy with custom rifles i don't I, i'm sorry and i i have all our friends in the industry that are in precision rifle stuff my my opinion of custom rifles is every time you make a custom rifle that's the first one you ever made do you want the first one that anybody ever made of anything, whether it be a deck on your house or a rifle? I mean, <laughs> wow. I, yeah, a a, way to look Every at true it. custom, it does not go through what a Barrett-Imrad or a Q-Fix has been through. Yeah, like with These things, everyone is the same, and everyone passes rigorous standards. Customs is a roll of the dice.
0: Yeah, that's a fact. Like, every yeah, time a right. custom is put see. together,
1: it's the first time that that exact – and as you know in design, there are no small changes. No. Oh. Oh God, Adam can speak to it. You, you than get me, you get a screw, a fastener from a different supplier, and yeah. all of a sudden your gun is broken. It's like what happened? We mm-hmm. got a we got a screw from a different line in the catalog than the other one. I I don't even know what happened. Like there are no such things in firearms. Oh, I could soapbox on this for a minute. Why people modify guns? you but, want to go nuts? Man, people don't realize what we go through on gun design.
0: No, you know I think about it with my history. Like my background's different than yours. When I started. I did an accessory first. Like my first product with advanced armament was an accessory mounting rail that I designed that went to the original Colt handguard that mounted through the holes, the vent holes in the handguard, and mounted a Picatinny rail. My second was a cyclic rate reducer for the M16. Mm. Um,. Hey, let me close out the
1: Forbes thing, and th- this might need to edit up because I want to talk about this modifying the design stuff for a yeah, second. Yeah, go ahead. The, so this Forbes rifle company formed, and I bought some of their. I bought one of their rifles. I was like, okay, this rifle design that I like is kind of getting productionized now. Um, I bought one of those, and it was like thirteen hundred bucks as opposed to three thousand. I'm like, hey, this ain't that bad.
0: Yeah, thirteen hundred. Yeah,
1: the opportunity to buy that company came up. They weren't doing well. Yeah, thirteen hundred dollars. Go figure. It didn't work. We bought the assets of the company and the TDP, as it were. It was it. It wasn't much, honestly. Like once we got it, was not a, a mature TDP. It was a lot of CNC programs. We basically redesigned the whole thing from there and it fixed everything on it, and that's what became the Barrett Philcraft. And that rifle is badass. It's yeah, I mean, it's p- my favorite like the, pure the Chris
0: Barretts that I know, being like fancy educated people within hunting. The guns are very desirable. Like, I just got one. Like, I had contacted you a couple times. You didn't have any, and I went out and bought one in two forty three. and the gun's incredible. I have shot so much stuff with that. I took it to Africa. I took
1: one in thirty out 6 to Africa. I've hunted all over Texas with a 65 Creedmoor with an 18-inch barrel. I love that rifle. Yeah. So, that's what happened to the Fieldcraft, and why is it not in Barrett's current catalog? This Mark 22 thing came along, and then 2020 happened. Like like, and then the whole like political cycle that started leading into the Trump administration, which bucked all the rules. Like usually, when there's a Republican in the office, gun sales are down. Well, while this Republican was in office, because of all these other circumstances, gun sales were not down. No, during Trump. So all these things were happening. We're getting, we have orders forever based on our core products that we are the leaders in, and a company sometimes has to make a decision that hey, you know. Like, we make a really great long, like, this precision, lightweight bolt-action hunting rifle, but, like, we have to pay attention to our core. And hard decisions get made, and, and that was a hard one. Now, that's I'm not saying that that product is not dead. Like, it's still there. Like, it's, I don't know, we don't all know what the future is, but for right now, Barrett has a mission, and we are on a serious mission. We're marching towards it, and the field craft is not part of it in 2021. Well, fair enough. I mean, it, it happens. So, so if there's one on GumBroker right now, you should snag it. But what's a good price? Uh, I think uh, retail on them, I think was around eight. Was it eighteen hundred bucks? No, no, they were less than that. They were less oh, than cheap. If I could if I could get one for two thousand dollars or under, I would get mm-hmm. it because it's a four thousand dollar custom rifle that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: when I got mine, so I wanted a six five, but what I could get was a two forty three. So I can
2: buy right now. Sorry to cut you off, Kevin. A six five Creedmoor with rings, uh, for under two grand. Under two? Yeah. I'll get it. Buy it now. Under two grand. Is it that's the
1: twenty one inch or the eighteen inch threaded?
2: It. I'd take no, it either way. It's away. the long one.
0: No, I only want threaded. I just got a 243. It's 18 inches and it's threaded. And I like 243. Yeah. I'd rather have 6.5. 243, great cartridge. Kill a lot of stuff with it. I'm not afraid of it. It's what I got. It's brand new. It's what I'm going to use. Mm-hmm. I think I paid 1800 for mine, probably.
2: Can oh, we... here's a threaded one right here.
0: Oh, really? What caliber is it?
2: 6.5. Six, oh. But there's no buy now. Mm, mm. Starting bid, 2200 bucks. Oh. 2200 Starting bid. Yeah, I'm not buying that. Scarcity is value, man. Like,
1: yeah. It's
0: cool. Well, yep. you, you know, I thought about it and was all excited. But then, you know, what I use, and for a practical sense, I use the fix all the time. I, I, man, I mean, this. you're right. It is the utility rifle.
1: It's yeah. like if you have this. I, I want to talk for a second about, we got off on it earlier, but what goes into the design of these things that people, I think, don't see. Oh, my God. And, you know, especially in the precision rifle world. Well, no, in the AR world, too. You know, how many people I built an AR? Yeah, I built ARs all the time. I built an AR. I built an AR last week. I built this AR. You assembled some parts. That's cool. Oh, my gosh, man. If, if people only knew in, like, auto, automotive design or in firearms, what we go through to get a spring mm-hmm. correct. You know, I, I know there's a spring in one of our gas blocks on the Rec. 7 you know what we went through to select the correct material and we had to find out what happened when that rifle was fired at this really high firing schedule where it got super hot and how many cycles the spring would last you know and or you you, you can think of springs like this through your rifle since that have been real engineering nightmares and you've had to go back through different iterations and tests over and over again and sometimes you learn that that spring fails like five years later well these things are on the field now now they're all failing so we came up with a fix for that. You know, so you do all that, and we use high speed videos, and we use accelerometers, and we do drop tests, and, and and cold weather, and extreme temperatures, and mud pack tests, and all this stuff. Yeah. And then you put a new firearm out there, and then some companies like new and improved trigger spring. Yeah. Like, we got this upgrade. You buy the Brownells for 17 dollars I was like, what? Like, it <laughs> yeah. took me t- two decades to get that spring right. You did not yeah, two weeks people after people rip you like,
0: off. I mean, I think well, the Rec Seven. No, for I, the, no,
1: I don't think they get it right. Is what I'm saying. Like yeah, a lot no. of modded stuff, like it's wrong. And you know, uh, I don't know, man. Like I've modded guns, I've had custom everything in my life, but it's well. Like, I mean, I'm you like know, you
0: engineered. build a prototype, one off, whatever. You build production, another thing. But the Rec Seven, for those that don't know, that's your 308 gas gun. So it's 308 and 556. So, it's an AR platform. Okay, so Barrett builds AR platform guns. Um, which maybe I mean, I think a lot of people don't know honestly, no, um yeah, well it, you know what you're what you're saying is is like the honey badger, well, I got the honey badger a decade ago in Call of duty, and it became very popular before we ever sold the guns, but the honey badger, like there's a couple of three in front of you, they look like a r s well, well, two, yeah, in front of me. but in, in reality, it's just the mag catch and the bulk catch and mm-hmm. some, the takedown pins and some springs and detents. That's the only thing that's common with an AR. Everything else is custom special. And that's why the gun's so expensive because it like the field craft, not huge volume, right? There's a huge demand and we need to grow it. But you know, I want it to be, I want our quality not to slip as production grows. Like, You know, Adam and I both were at SIG, and we saw that, and I don't want that model. You know, I I want us to continue to build a brand, a brand like Barrett, where, you know, 40 years, which you guys probably still feel like you're in your infancy. It's how I always feel, 40 years, and you guys are, you know, winning SOCOM contracts with a new weapon system. Oh, today, I'm looking at the next five years, and I feel like it's a new day. Yeah, energized. Like oh, my God, I feel it, too.
1: And, and for different reasons now, you know, but like I have I have goals and objectives and new knowledge and new skills now that, um, uh, I, I don't know, and my, my focus for what I want for the company long term is, is, is really coming into focus.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think with what you're saying, this might parallel. There are so many new gun companies the last 10 years. I do not fear anyone one bit like our path. My experience, I think, dictates a certain amount of knowledge in I know our path forward for my strength. You know, the company's strengths, our assets, what we should do. And it's well, regardless of what other companies are doing, this is what we should do. You know, this is what we're good at. Like, what are we good at? What are we not good at? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to mass produce. You know, I, I want to yield of many times what other companies that mass produce stuff we get per employee. And that's the route I'm going down. Like we are innovation, engineering, and quality. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we are. You know, and it's probably something I respect with Barrett. You guys, definitely not the biggest gun company in the world. um, And you've hit home runs in some very different categories, mm-hmm. which you could say precision long range, but. I mean the M82 or 107 very different than the Mark 22 and that's fucking awesome and I love it And, and, and that's what I want for my company you know similar things I mean it's different guns and different programs but you know it's understanding what we can do well and executing that you know not trying to be what everybody else is being and You know, you can't afford a Barrett Rec. 7. Okay. You can't afford a Honey Badger. Okay. There's plenty of other stuff out there that can, but let's build, there's always room for the best is what I think. Yes. And that's what I want to be.
2: Yeah. There's always room for the best because in a lot of ways, you know, with your product, our product, you're kind of getting what you pay for and going back to what you were saying before about the development process, you know, maybe you have a bad spring. Maybe that spring's breaking because of something else in the gun that you need to fix, and you have to go through all the hurdles and the hassles and the financial burden of solving those problems, and uh, it's a hard process. Mm-hmm. And that process, if done right, dictates a, a higher it, value product.
1: It's hard to it's hard to to translate that to some customers on yeah. what they're paying for. Sure, but that's that's
0: what you're paying for, and then I think they're also well. You either pay on the front end and the back end, meaning. Right. You pay for a Barrett Mark twenty two or you pay for a honey badger mm-hmm. or you buy the cheap alternative and you buy a better winter hours later. Mm-hmm. You and know, that's paying the front end or the back end. And one of the things too, the value that's
1: that's hard to define on a spec sheet mm-hmm. is people are buying your tribe. They're buying into your tribe, like yeah. we talked about mm-hmm. with Elon Musk the other day. Mm-hmm. You're not just buying a Tesla you're kind of buying into that's that right. philosophy and the design, and that's what's happening with Q mm-hmm. and what was, what's, what's oh, happened with Barrett's you. loyal customers. Too, I you think know? so. So it's a, there's a, there's a pride of ownership. That's, that's not so tangible to everyone until you you're in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I want with what you said, you know, as a friend of yours and someone who respects your father to understand Barrett firearms was one thing from my perspective, who is someone in the industry, also a fan of firearms and a consumer of your goods. Um, the company was one thing with your dad, and it still has that DNA, but to transcend into you being in charge of the company and seeing the Mark 22 and new products and a new breath into the company. It's different, and that's exciting for me, and it makes me more loyal to the company. So, like, I see that, and that's my perspective. Like, I like it. In, you know, like the bear you know, the 107, it's fucking awesome. I love it. I love shooting cars or concrete blocks with it the mark twenty two totally different thing you know and and would that have happened without you, like you say whatever you want? I know the answer is no, it wouldn't have mm-hmm. so I like that and you, know, you know one thing I want to get into some of the stuff that I came up with, yeah, so we talked about what's going on, and we got more to come with Barrett, and that's exciting um was it the Boers system oh yeah yeah so 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 what was this I for forgot people, about Donna? that I for, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the, I didn't. The Barrett
1: optical... Man, we love our acronyms, right? We do. Yeah. The Barrett optical ranging system, not a great... Not a great... That one didn't work so well because people thought it ranged. Like, it determined range. It did not. So,
0: what is it? The Boers was a... A computer that goes on your little pulse scope.
1: It is a computer that mounted via
0: rings and adapted to the
1: elevation knob on... Not only loophole, but I think we adapted to some night forces and
0: some Schmitz also. All right, so Thomas, we'll, we'll put it up on the screen now.
1: Yeah, it, it it was a interesting thing. So you know what's been happening now? Uh, fire control is the new deal. Like it's uh, wait,
0: what was this? What was it? It adapted to it. What did it do? Explain it. It it is a computer that developed
1: a long range shooting solution for whatever range you were shooting at it, it gave you the solution the it gave you the come up if you will and but yep, it was so the dial but it didn't just tell you dial up to moa it was connected to the knob so it was re- reading the position of the elevation knob so as i turned this knob the computer knew the temperature it knew the inclination i was at yeah it knew uh barometric pressure and it knew the ballistic data of the cartridge if I input it correctly. Yeah, if I've told it like we're we're in these yeah, conditions, yeah, gives the
0: computer the right information.
1: So if I you know ranged a target with uh, with a separate rangefinder, said we have a target fourteen hundred meters. I don't have to know the math anymore. I just have to turn this knob until so the it number says 1400. fourteen. You know, hit. All right, we have one at eight hundred. Okay, uh, eight hundred. Okay, Pulled. what's
0: awesome? Why, why didn't it succeed? It's um,
1: hmm. you know, pioneers get the arrows, settlers get the land. They say, and this was a kind of far out there thing that um, I think it. You know, it,
0: people didn't understand the product. It was hard. This is how. Was well, it a failure of the product or a failure of the marketing of of the Barrett hmm. Firearms Company?
1: Maybe, maybe both. Yeah, it's um.
0: I think about it. Personally, with my own stuff every day.
1: Sometimes the market is not ready to hear a thing. Okay, Stoner sixty three. So you know, Apple did not invent the music player like the iPod. They it wasn't first. You know, some other yeah. guy, some other companies did it first and never got the market. Apple got it later, but the other people were educated the market on what it was.
0: It's an interesting product. I mean, I, I knew a couple guys that had it that that loved it back in the day, and I if thought you, of it when you if were If you coming. understand how to use it, it's amazing.
1: It's, it's you know.
0: How do you grow and maintain the culture mm-hmm. of the company? Like, how does Barrett stay a small Tennessee firearms company with roots from Ronnie's Rental Garage? I think it is done. You
1: and I have, have talked. We, we've talked so much off mic these last couple of days. The um, I think it's done by investing in the people, yeah. and and it's uh, so. What's happening at Barrett right now is. I think we're keeping our heart and our DNA, but we're professionalizing the things that keep you in business and make everybody happy. It, that, it
0: seems mature. Like that statement seems mature because, you know, you or I can think however we want, but we're so eccentric and disconnected yeah. from, you know, the, the magnitude of reality that we don't have to worry about the daily daily struggle. So staying connected and having that that, that DNA in a culture of investing in the people investing in the people and I see you doing it too and I haven't I haven't like hung around the physical
1: walls of your company over here but I see too that uh that your guys like have enough freedom to express themselves and to be passionate about what they're doing it's not all just the Kevin show yeah and Barrett is not all just the Ronnie and Chris show anymore like it's there are, there are wonderful there are people that have been there for 30 years and there's people that have been there for a year and um we're investing in those people in their professional development and giving them authority and freedom to, to do things. I mean, and for I, me, I think that's how you keep culture.
0: I agree. And I think even up to, if Adam didn't challenge me on a regular basis, I would not have confidence in him. And I think it's true. It doesn't have to be Adam. It's, you know, cause I stick, you know, my dick in every part of the company. So whether it's shipping and receiving quality. Not literally. <laughs> wow. You're not just, HR. Except for <laughs> whatever. <HR> department, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, whether it's uh, uh, assembly, shipping, receiving quality, control, like whatever it is, you know, I have input. But, you know, I'm also, I'm the asshole that just owns a company, doesn't do all the work. So I can say stuff and challenge things, but you got to have the stones to set me straight if I'm wrong or give me the reality of what's going on. I'm not always right. Like I take a, you know, a snapshot of something I'm not really involved in regularly. And, but I have my opinions on how I want the company represented. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look to people who, who can, who put their heart in it, but who will challenge me mm-hmm. and, you know, and, that's what I like. We have also not only just like helping people with their their own
1: personal development on a professional side, like yeah. right, making them awesome. We have also, uh, we have just kept and cultivated a real sense of passion around what we're doing and shooting. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you like how it manifests itself. Like our, uh, our, our COO, Brian James, you know, he has a farm not far from Barrett with a field craft rifle course set up on it that he maintains. Like you're hiking through the woods and like he oh, takes so cool. He takes the entire commercial and professional end user sales team out there and they compete against each other and they like my whole the whole team. Like so our, you know, the US commercial guys, I think there's seven of them that cover the country, you know, every one of them can sling a rifle like nobody's business. They train oh, together. Awesome. They're they're learning to train people to shoot. And so yeah. like the my guys are not salespeople. Yeah, they're they're
0: users that can tell you about the product. It's cool. Like for me, Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier on a break. We're on to take everybody out and do a showcase of our products Mm -hmm. where I was exposed, you know, because we can get jaded about the products because we're like hyper focused on it. And, you know, we're competitive. We want to be we want to beat everyone and we get hung up on it. And I was on a hunt this weekend and our products compared to some competitors products and how we just demolish them. And I'm like, Oh, you know, like I know these things, but it was good to see it. I'm going to take our entire company out to, and reproduce what I was exposed to again this weekend because it made an impact on me. And it's like, imagine what it can do for them. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, these, these minor things, but I mean, I think you said it best. It's like investing in the people, the personnel. Yeah. Uh, and there'll always be people that aren't good fits, and you got to weed through that ten percent of stuff constantly. But the rest of it, investing in the people is important. Yeah. Um, so you got a new car? Yeah. What you got? Oh, uh, the new Lamborghini Huracan Evo. Evo. It's the, it's
2: the you had Evo. to one up me.
1: Well, I mean, it's. Been, I had the old one too. We all had
2: the old one <gasps> oh, once. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here, in my Ford. Uh, Freaking focus, but it's a, like an ST <laughs> or something. So you're good. Yeah, it's totally cool.
1: So the Evo, how is it? It's amazing. It's got like thirty more, twenty or 30, 30 more horsepower than the you old one. You can't tell thirty more horsepower in a car that powerful. It was already too fast. Yeah, but this Agreed. one, this one, I'm, I've got a track event on March 20, March 23rd. I'm going to track this one, and
0: they make a helmet that'll fit your head no, for the track. No, what's faster that or your Tesla? My Tesla smokes it by yeah. like a full second. Zero to sixty. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Tesla's probably going to get it. Yeah, only because they limit the top speed. Yeah, the Tesla. I can haul seven of you motherfuckers, and we can outrun Chris. <laughs> but I look so cool. Man. You, you do. You look awesome until you have to get out of it, and then like you roll. Out. <laughs> then
1: you
2: look like Leonardo DiCaprio in that movie when you falls <laughs> out of the car.
1: <laughs> if you drive it somewhere cool, I have to have a valet meet me around the corner. Like, I to I'm not gonna get out in front of all these people. Like yeah. you have to meet me over here, and I'll roll out onto the street. <laughs> yeah, that's cool
2: um so you said a track day
1: yeah on march 23rd i Is went that- to porsche driving school this year and it was amazing during yeah. covid and um like i really got hooked on just like running on a track at high speed you know we we, we don't get to do dangerous stuff all the time anymore we don't and it feels uh i mean we'll, we, you and i both hang out of helicopters and shoot things did you have a, any kind of harness on because i didn't it was just like a lap belt <laughs> Yep. and i might like, wait a minute I know I'm chunky, but I, don't, I could probably <laughs> slide out of this.
0: <laughs> I thought about it, and I was like, I even verbalized it to the guy I was with. I was like, seems sketchy, but I was like, it's almost a pirate death. I'm okay with it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, you know, if I die, like, I, I don't know, on the toilet or something, it's one thing, but if I die, like, shooting shit out of a helicopter, eh. Think of what that's going to do for sales. I know. the book. The book would sell a ton. I mean, it'd be good. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know.
1: That that is the other like most fun, dangerous thing I've done in the last few years. Are you into motorcycles? Man, I love them. And I went and got like I did the test for my license and did a training class. And I just can't talk myself into buying one. I keep looking yeah. at them. But I don't. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I'm not yeah, it's it. sketchy. I don't want to eat Jello in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. No.
0: <laughs> like I just. No, yeah. you know what caused me to really get out of it was moving to New Hampshire. It's cold here for so long yeah. that all the batteries die in my motorcycles and I don't, yeah. I'm too lazy to put them on tenders and I'm just like, got over it. So I ride a scooter, 150cc scooter <laughs> most of the time.
2: It's way cooler. It's
0: I have, well, I don't know, as I've gotten older too and, yeah. um, you know, I've got like my dream woman. I don't like. Like, I ride a scooter. What do I care? I ride a scooter and flip-flops, and I ain't trying to impress anyone. And who makes fun of you? Because girls don't know if it's a motorcycle or a scooter. It's just dudes. Like, what do I care what you think? Like, shut the fuck up. So you think girls are looking at you on that and going, oh, look at that guy on a motorcycle. I think girls. sweet ninja. I think girls, (laughs) when it comes to me, girls never look at me and say anything. It's just, it makes no difference. Girls don't care. Like, I don't know, when's the last time you've been in a gas station without the Lamborghini and a girl comes up to you and like, hey, boy. No, that that doesn't happen. Never! That's not a Never! Thing. What do I care? I don't care, but dudes talk shit. Like, women? I don't know, it's just like being in this industry. I say it all the time. Like, should have been in a band. Like, I got tons, and you probably to, do too, but of, like, male groupies. Like, cool?
1: You don't have to be in a band. You just have to get that hat and carry a guitar case. Oh, that's a good point. Done. Zach Brown. You look like a rock star. I got to dress better, though. You're I, stazzy with I, the dressing. Man, I have had, I've like had people in a lot to take selfies in Nashville before. <laughs> and this one guy was like, man, I saw you in Florida two weeks ago. I was like, dude, thanks, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you like Zach it, Brown. That, dude, that, you're why we do it. You're why we do it. I mean. <laughs> it's all about you guys. That's awesome. Well, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know who he thought I was. I was I never even asked. I just lined up. To, I was like, man. I thought
0: you were Zach Brown. I picked you up at the airport. Yeah. All right. Well, man. Hey, dude. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. And, you know, I don't care if I have to bribe you with a podcast and tell you to come build a gun, get to hang out with you and discuss this stuff. You know, it's important because like all these noobs, they need to know what's going on. And it's so fun for me to like relive some of this. So I don't know. I appreciate it. I appreciate you asking me. You know, we did this kind of last minute. Yeah. And that's how I operate.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Papa's a Rolling
1: Stone. I mean, don't don't ask me to go 6 months from now. But you like, "Hey, on Tuesday, would you I you know, I
0: ask you, you 6 months ahead of time, Let's go to Africa on a trip." Oh no, 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 no. I've got uh, I've got an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> worth every penny. <laughs>